Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is my sometimes co-host, who's also the host of his own podcast called Who Did It First. He's also the man behind Wayne's hashtag, Sidelined, and the man who sometimes tells his kid, I am Superman and I know what's happening. Please welcome back to the podcast, Jeff Johnson. Thanks for having me on again, Ben. Sorry for sidelining you, Wayne, but you uh, you did this to yourself with your scores on Dulcinea. Absolutely. So that's did. what you did. Yeah. yeah. So for this episode, we have a special guest. He was the man behind the drum kit for one of our favorite bands ever, Toad the Wet Sprocket. Yep, that's him on songs like All I Want and Fly From Heaven and so many other classic songs. Please welcome to the podcast drummer, Randy Gus. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We are looking forward to this. Me too. Yeah, this is the, this is the part where I geek out and I tell you that uh, I'm super excited to have this conversation. Randy, you were supposed to uh, wait to at least minute two. I can't help it. I can't. I can't help it. I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to you, Randy. You've uh, you've always been one of my favorites, and uh, Toad is one of my favorite bands, and and uh, it's it's a little bit of a bucket list thing to get to have a conversation with you about music. So thanks for thanks for taking the time. Thank you. I'm incredibly flattered to be asked. Obviously, I'm not playing with the guys anymore. Um, for a variety of reasons, uh, and I miss it, uh, and that I'm thought of as uh, Toad's drummer um, is an honor for me because, especially having this time away from them, uh, I I feel prouder about what we did, and I I'm more of a fan now, and uh, I'm a fan of Toad. Uh, I don't want to say we, I don't know if I'm a fan of myself, but uh, I, th- I think, I think I was the worst part of it, no. but uh, the, there are some talented guys and I was so lucky to have them as friends and lucky to have them have me in their band. You were a real presence at live shows. You always made yourself known at live shows and, and your personality was definitely a part of it. And that was always something that I enjoyed in the shows that I saw. So that was a big part. In fact, I did. I actually saw. Uh, I took my family. I've got three kids now, age twenty-one down to fourteen, and um, I took all three of them to see uh, with my wife uh, the show at Libby Bowl in Ojai in two thousand eighteen. And that was the first time I'd seen him without you, and you were definitely missed. Um, it was a great show, but you were you were missed. So that's well, that's, thank you. Yeah, that's my. That, there's my sappy part. That's my <laughs> sappy part of the equation. So well, I, let me just say. I'm very touched by that. I genuinely am. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're jumping the gun a little bit because I have. Oh, sorry. I I did that. I always ruin things. I always ruin things when I I, come on. You can tell who's not the usual co-host here because, you know, we got we we got a formula (laughs) here, man. We got to follow this. I'm an excitable boy. I know. know Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, we um, we always start our podcast episodes with the what T-shirt are you wearing question. So. Let, let's start with Randy. What what T-shirt are you wearing? How'd you know I was wearing a T-shirt? Um, That's what you I wouldn't be the first of our guests who has <laughs> not worn a T-shirt at all. And I'm talking about David Bournet on the Nirvana episode. He went he went shirtless for that episode. Oh no 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 no. Okay <laughs> no I I I live in a city of I live in San Diego now near the beach. And everybody here is young and fit and they have gym memberships and all that stuff. 
I it's like uh, it's like I live in Melrose Place. And I I have a gym membership. I just don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I think these guys use it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the T-shirt I have, so many of the clothes, my T-shirts uh, I got in high school when my friends outgrew them and gave them to me. Like for instance, my REM T-shirt, which I'm not wearing. Uh, Todd from Toad gave to me. Nice. Now Todd has very broad shoulders, and uh, and I don't. Um, but over the years, uh, the T-shirt has continued to shrink. But he must have been like 15 when he gave it to me, um, and uh, outgrew it. So the shirt I am wearing is a shirt a different friend of mine gave me. His name is Raymond, one of my best friends, and it's blue with a picture of uh, like a clown or a court gesture on it, um, wearing one of those kind of striped, uh, you know, black and white striped uh, gesture. Um, And he's kind of running gleefully. And it's kind of like the way I often view myself. And one of these days I'm going to put it on my drum head, uh, just kind of like, happy to play the fool to make the king laugh. There you you go. know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, not, you know, this is no relationship to you guys or anything, but uh, there's, there's a certain amount of glee on this guy's face. Um, just, you know, serving the king by being a fool. And uh, it brings me happiness. I make a second career out of that, Randy. That's exactly what I do. I just, I play the well, jester and uh, I love it. It's a part that I love, and um, I always enjoy making people laugh. That's a, it's a, so, and and sometimes you succeed. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Shotgun approach, yeah. Right, right. I think that's the best way to go. Yeah, especially if you can edit out edit out the bad jokes. It's hard on stage to do that. Uh, they <laughs> they, yes, usually, they usually hold you to most of the ones that you say. Like they're just out there once they come out of your mouth. Uh, you just go, okay, well, that's there. And now, you know, it's not funny, right? Well, sometimes you have to say it before you realize it. And sometimes every once in a while, there's a line that you have that you're so sure in your head that it's funny that you say it. And then eventually someone laughs. You're like, I knew it was funny. And, and you keep doing it longer than you should. That's I've done that on a couple. Right. Actually, I think comedy is the art form where I, I have the best appreciation of it. Um, even more than music. Um, and, uh, I think it's because as a kid, I listened to top 40 music. I'd always ride my bike down to the record store with my allowance and buy whatever the number one single was. And so I had a whole collection of singles. And if the only reason I'd buy the number two signal single, if it was as it, if it was the same as the previous week and I already had it, um, but then, because of a bone condition I'm born with, which is why I'm short and I break bones very easily, and I kept breaking my leg uh, f- from the time I was 11 to 17, and I kind of stopped play- paying attention to music at that time. But that was right when David Letterman um, started. I even I was you know in the hospital uh, and out of school when he had his morning show. Oh yeah. So I was one of the few kids that would see his morning show. And I was one of the few kids who could stay up late when he switched to late night. And, uh, I always pay attention to that comedy and, and the comedians he had on. And, um, 
I think I developed my, my taste then. And, uh, you know, I found some comedians very early, um, that end up, ended up being huge. Um, I don't know if you guys remember a show called evening at the improv. It aired after Saturday night, Saturday night live. Oh yeah. It was a half hour thing and it was at the improv in LA and Jerry Seinfeld was on. So this is after he'd moved to LA and he did 15 minutes all about pajamas. And I thought, and I must've been like 12, 13. And I'm like, I, he didn't do airline food, food. He didn't do commercials. He didn't do the difference between men and women. It was just pajamas for 15 minutes. And I thought this guy is amazing that he could do a whole, you know, he's got a whole chunk about pajamas. And I said, I got to keep an eye on this guy. Turns out he was pretty good. Yeah. 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 He wound up being okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Not that I discovered him, but I recognized that <laughs> pretty young. What were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about T-shirts. Jeff, what T-shirt are you wearing? Oh, I, I, you know what? I didn't think much about it, and I just had on my Pearl Jam shirt today. It's got the Space Needle on the front, so it's a, it's a very Seattle-y uh, uh, Pearl Jam shirt. All right. Perfect. Can I ask a question about that? Yeah. Is that from – what era is that from, album-wise? This is think? a relatively recent one. It's a, it's a show that they did in Seattle that I didn't go to, but I love the Space Needle so much that I, I ordered it on their website anyway. So I think it's just a few years old. Okay. It's not. It's not very old. And normally, I don't get T-shirts from the shows I don't go to. But uh, I'm a big Space Needle guy. I, I love Seattle. So, uh, me too. Any of that iconography about Space Needle and stuff mixed in with uh, some of my favorite bands is more than welcome. Absolutely. Pearl Jam. I think uh, just in terms of the band sound, they're just one of the best bands out there. And Eddie Vedder's got a great voice. I know people who don't like their songs. Yeah. Uh, and I know you know, among the cool people, they were never really respected, but I just thought, you know, all those guitars, um, working together. Yeah. Their live show is, is they're an incredible live band. They're just a, a fantastic live band. I've only seen them once. I've only seen them once. And it was in Tokyo at Budokan. Oh, wow. And that was, that was amazing. And, um, we were, uh, being escorted around by, uh, someone who worked for the record company and I didn't know the name of the song corduroy, but it stood out uh, in the set and on the ride back to the hotel, I said, what was that song? And this poor woman who did speak English, but had a very thick Japanese accent had to say corduroy. Yeah. Yeah. That's and a tough imagine, one. <laughs> imagine trying to say that. And finally Dean jumped in and he yelled at me. Corduroy. So I, <laughs> I, like I still feel bad for her. I just, anyway, it was a great show. It was, a, it was really fun. <laughs> was that uh, before or after Matt Cameron joined the band? I'm assuming before. That was before. Yeah. 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 As a drummer, do, do you, uh, what, what are your opinions of Matt Cameron? Cause I think he's just one of the best. He's, he's phenomenal. Uh, on everything he does. And um, he also has a freedom that he plays with. And I sense like the band, you know, sort of gives that to him, like go where you want, we'll follow you. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's playing to a click track or not, but even if he is, I just get the feeling that uh, 
he has, I mean, he's got chops galore, but um, he, the songs themselves, you know, have a certain propulsion, but Matt Cameron, he really, he really drives it and matches the energy of the band. And, you know, they're, those guys are my age and, Mm -hmm. you know, they still have that full energetic uh, thing going. And I, I, I think they, it's because of Matt Cameron. He's really, really good. Yeah. He's the man. Um, I haven't told you what t-shirt I'm wearing. So I'm wearing one of my toad, the wet sprocket t-shirts that I, and this is the one that I purchased last summer when I saw them uh, most recently. And this is the one that has toad and in small letters, wet sprocket. And in the toad is uh, the various album covers. And I'm really clever. I'm really excited because when I bought it last summer, my fat dad bod couldn't really fit into it very well. (laughs) And um, I've lost 15 pounds over the last several months. And so it doesn't look horrible on me right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you could be lying. Yeah, this is I, it, this I, is audio, man. We don't know. We don't have anybody I'll, to test. I'll that. take a picture. I'll put. It I on. don't want to see a picture of your dad's <laughs> gut. <laughs> if you're going to do that, well, I'm going to send you one of mine too. And I don't think you want that. So, well, you know, the the takeaway from this is I'm pretty proud of myself. I've lost 15. You should pounds, be, so. and I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm taking cheap shots because I haven't lost 15 pounds during this. Congratulations. Good work, Ben. Good work. Good for you. That's well. I had some health stuff. Yeah, really. I had to change. Congratulations. I had to change this year. So, yeah. Should I, should we, sorry, should we leave that topic aside? Yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's, um, since I just talked about health stuff for, for me. So let's, let's ask Randy, how are you doing? Thank you for asking. Um, I'm doing really well. Um, towards the end of Toad, I was having some physical and, uh, emotional problems. Um, and, uh, and I'm doing much, much better. I'm much happier. I'm much healthier. Um, it got really hard for me to, to play the drums. Um, and uh, emotionally, I, I was in a bad place. And um, it kind of led me. It's really, I'm really bummed out because I let the guys down. And they put up with it for a long time, but I kind of just got lost in my own, um, you know, very real, but, you know, personal battles. Um, and, uh, I just wasn't committed. I wasn't, I wasn't as committed as as I should be. And I knew that. Um, and, uh, the band was always precious to me. I always felt it in my heart. But uh, I was kind of consumed with both physical and emotional difficulties. And, you know, when I got off tour, I, you know, saw some professionals and I'm going to physical therapy and I'm going to psychological therapy and, uh, and I'm healthier uh, in a lot of ways. Um, my body, though, because of the bone condition I have, um, it's, it's difficult. 
it's it's just going to get more and more difficult to play the drums. Uh, I know a lot of drummers at a certain point have to stop because they develop certain things. Um, yeah. But I still play all the time. It's just I can't play as hard. I can't play as long. I have to take more breaks. Um, but uh, but I actually I'm I'm doing. I'm doing well, and thank you for asking. I, I know a lot of people have wondered uh, about my health, uh, but um, I, it w- which is kind. Um, but yeah, I really am doing doing better than I have uh, in a long, long, long time. Good. I, I think I, I got to give you a, a props to Randy for being able to to talk about it uh, that bluntly and that openly. That you, especially in terms of you know, the emotional health or mental health, it's not something that we talk about a lot. I deal with anxiety and and depression both at times. And uh, those are things that we got trained at some point to not talk that openly about. And so we all think we suffer alone or we used to. And now more people are, are, are discussing that they, they have challenges, you know, to emotional health or mental health. And, and uh, it, it, it's easier to hear someone talk about it and, and tell their experiences. And it, it makes you realize that you're not the only one that, that's going through that stuff. Well, um, I, I so. have no issues. <laughs> Everything is perfectly. Fine. I've known, I've known you too long to believe that that's, that's true. You have issues. Wayne and I have talked openly. Both of us have, have gone to therapy and it is, it's, I think that every single person in the entire world could benefit from just going to a therapist, even if it's just for a couple sessions of just talking it out and, and completely recognizing, you know, what's wrong and finding ways to, to change it. I'm sure, you know, Randy with, with you not being able to play drums that, that also affected you, you know, psychologically. Cause I absolutely, I, I know of of like ball players, for instance, who once they're done with their careers, they go into the depression because they're like, I've been doing this for how many years where you know I'm I'm training all the time and I'm playing these games and or you know, translating that to playing gigs, and then all of a sudden it's taken away from you. And that affects you. So, um, yeah, very much. So thank you for just, you know, talking about it and being open about that. And, and are you able to still stay close with, uh, you know, with the, with the guys at this point, do you, you know, do you stay close and have a relationship with them now that you're outside the band? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, and, uh, it's great. It's wonderful. I, I, um, Todd's not a talking on the phone kind of guy. He's an email. Uh, That's shocking. Kind of guy. That is shocking. Shocking. <laughs> <Big> shock. <laughs> I mean, you guys know Todd. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben, I think talked to him about doing a bumper for the podcast when he saw him last year. He's like, "That's not really my thing," isn't it? He said Ben something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, he goes, "There's, there's a couple other guys in the band that are way better <laughs> yeah. at that than I am." Yeah. So I, I'm sure he was polite. He, he wasn't was. dismissive. Oh, yeah, he's he always was. nice. Yeah. He's always nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he is um, one of the first, uh, um, I guess, interviews we did was for the local Santa Barbara Weekly paper. And Todd was described as being shy, but not afraid to hold a stare. 
<laughs> which is, I think, describes him perfectly. Yeah. You know, I don't know if he said two words during that interview. Um, he, It's not what he's comfortable with. But he, you know, he's incredibly bright and he's incredibly warm-hearted. And he and I have actually known each other, I think, longer than I've known any other friend. Um, we, I think, met our parents uh, went to the same church. And then, uh, so we were like three or four when we met. I remember the first time I went over to his house and his mom made uh, uh, toast with melted cheese and sliced hot dogs on it. And I must've been like five and it was like luxury. Um <sighs> So it we've had great a, right now. It's it right now. <laughs> I'm so hungry. We've had a tight relationship and, and, you know, all the physical problems I went through in my teenage years, he was there for me when, when I needed him the most. And, um, and, you know, being in business with friends is sometimes difficult. And that was certainly true. Um, Glenn is a sweetheart and I, I love talking with him. He, he and I do talk on the phone and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about anything. Um, and, uh, so I enjoy that. Dean is the guy that I've talked to the least. Um, and I miss him. Um, he's, he's another sweet guy and, uh, good hearted, but I know he's, he's working a lot and, uh, busy, but, um, so I don't talk to him as much, but it's not, for any personal reason. I mean, I feel like the proudest thing as much regret as I have about the way I handled the, the ending period, you know, just kind of like checking out of the whole thing. Um, what the official end when we talked and, um, and then, you know, I said, well, why don't you guys continue without me? I'm fine. And you guys are happy and I want you to succeed. I just feel like we all handled that really well and saved our friendships. And there's a bond that even bands that broke up and hate each other, they have to admit there's a bond going through such an unusual experience. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel lucky to say that with these three guys, I share more than that with them. And there's stuff I, I think about them every day. I think about something funny that happened or something moving or, you know, the time Glenn brought in the song, Little Man, Big Man. I don't know if you guys know that song. And uh, oh, yeah. we played, he played through it and Dean and I just jumped in because it's just, you know, I was just playing a straight beat. And then the second time we played it, Todd looked disinterested sitting by his guitar and he came in on the B section with the perfect part and played the rest of the song with the perfect part. And so he just needed to hear it once and not play. And then, uh, just, I don't know how he does that, but came in with just the perfect part and made the song. So, and I remember seeing Glenn, you know, Todd would bring a part of a song and I'd watch Glenn sit there and, write a bridge for it that was perfect in, in 10 minutes. And, yeah. um, and so those musical moments where I, I really could appreciate, uh, how creative they are and, and, um, and 
lyrically, and Glenn's got one of the best voices. I mean, his voice is, I don't know, it's just one of the best. And um, I don't want to rank it, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to commit yourself to a score by which he could later talk to you about it uh no he has a wonderful voice and and i and i, I you know i really love the the um uh the todd songs as well um yes i think he has a really cool voice um yeah well i, I and i'm glad to hear as a toad fan it, I, I i do enjoy hearing that you do have a relationship with each other still in that way and I do think that that's that's great. That's the kind of thing that you'd like to think about your favorite bands is that um, they they do appreciate that that time or that bond and that they don't hate each other. And I know you guys went through a lot of different phases and all that sort of stuff, but um, it sounds like it's uh, it it you know it ran the way that it it should. Which means you're you're officially done with Toad for for the time being. That that's correct. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm glad to ha- I'm so lucky to have have it as part of my past. Um I wish them nothing but the best and I'm sure they're great live. But and I would love to see them. But I I don't think emotionally I'm ready to see them play live yet. I yeah. think it would just be too hard. Have you been able to listen to the new song uh or is that too a little too recent for you? You know, I didn't even know there was a new song um, until a friend of mine told me. I haven't heard it, um, but I'd be, I mean, I will listen to it. Um, And uh, does it sound like Toad? It does. It sounds to me, I put it kind of in a Dulcinea era Toad. Oh, that's the best era. For me, it is, too. Uh, I I really like the song a lot. And I was just curious if you, you know, for where you're at, if it's difficult to listen to a new Toad song that doesn't have you uh, as part of the equation and and where you're at on that. And I'm always curious about that. That kind of stuff is how that how that works. And well, it will be difficult to listen to. Um, But I also want to because I'm a fan of the band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I, heck, I'm just glad to hear they're still making good music. Um, I mean, how many bands, how many guys can still write songs after doing it for as long as they have? And right. I, I mean, look at REM, for example. I'm not trying to segue here, but uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> it's a good one, though. They, you know, they, they trailed off you too. My favorite band of all time. I don't know that they ever wrote songs, but they had, they wrote emotional moments and, you know, they, they, I don't know. It's been a long time since I think they've, they've had a good record. Um, I'll still go see, pl- see them play live cause they're great, but I'm just really, I'm so not, you know, as soon as I'm done, I'm going to go, we're done with this. I'm going to go listen to that song. I'm glad it's it's good. And Dulcinea is my favorite era of Toad as well. Here, it's here. my favorite Toad album by far. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I, I do love all the, the albums, but boy, that was just a good, uh, it's just a great follow-up to fear. Um, it hit me on a lot of levels at the time. I still just, I still have it as just a regular part of my, my kind of listening habits. Um, uh, and, and Coil too. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of great, great music that you guys made that that still at, at the end of the day it just still makes me happy um 
you know, to, to put on a Toad album. And it makes me really happy to be able to share it with my, my kids enjoy a lot of the same music as me and they've enjoyed Toad as well. And, and, um, I sent you a picture of my son. I, I got to take my two boys to see you for the first time. My younger of the two is 11 and, uh, at the, or was 11 at the time when we saw you. And, and all he wanted afterward was to, uh, he's a drummer. And so he just, I, I said, do you want to go meet the band? He said, I want to meet the drummer. And then you know your name and, and, and you were just the drummer and, and you were putting your gear away. Um, you know, and you were, the other guys had come out of the side door and were standing out there, but he wanted to stand by the stage and you just kind of stood there quietly and watched and, and you noticed him at some point you came over and you said hi. And he told you quickly that he was a drummer and that he wanted to meet you. And you were just, you couldn't have been kinder. And it was such a cool experience for him. Uh, you gave him a couple of drumsticks and, uh, you know, it was, it, it's still a good memory. He's 18 now. And he, it's, you know, there's just those, those great moments. And I'm glad I'm able to share that, the music of, of someone like Toad with, uh, with my kids from completely different generation. Uh, and it still resonates. I'm glad he, he likes it. Um, that means a lot. Um, I, I have a 24 year old. He, he was the one that came to me and he said, Dad, you have to listen to more Queen. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, because he he's total hip hop. He knows everything about hip hop, and I own nothing about it. I mean, when it comes to that, I'm the whitest man in America. But my, somehow, <laughs> yeah. my son is not, and I don't understand that. But um, I, I don't, I don't really know hip hop. Um, and he's kind of educating me um, a little bit, but. It's amazing. I, I don't know why. I think it's because everything's online instead of from the radio. But um, but he finds, you know, he knows old songs and he says Queen's his favorite rock band. Um, and he picked a good one. I mean, they really are good. And after he told me that, to, do, to and I have, you know, a bunch of Queen records and I love, the, I love Queen, but I... I wouldn't like, you know, at the, before he said that, and I was thinking of, if I thought, what did I want to listen to? I wouldn't have thought queen, but now it's like, I want to watch their live concerts on YouTube. Um, and I want to listen to the platinum collection and, uh, which is their best of. And so I don't mean to say he turned me on to queen, but of all bands that he would pick that, uh, he's got extremely good taste. So it's funny. I mean, I, I tried to get him to listen to bands I liked and it's actually at this point it's flipped around. He's, he's telling me bands that are, you know, from when I was a teenager, he's like, Hey dad, you know, a uh, big star, you got to catch up oh, on big yeah. star. Cause they're good. Um, Cause he liked the replacements. It was in, they had a song in a video game he played when he was like 12 and, uh, nice. and Alex Chilton. I said, you know who Alex Chilton is? And I said, big star. So I played him big star and he took off his headphones. He was at my house. He took off his headphones. He walked into my bedroom and he said, this is the blank. And I won't swear, yeah, yeah. but he got it <laughs> immediately. I mean, that was that album. I mean, well, he's got good taste because those are two great ones. Replacements and Big Star, two yep. of my favorites as well. Yeah, uh, he does. Anyway, sorry to get off on that tangent, but isn't it nice to have kids that have good taste? 
yeah, it's nice to share music with your kids. I, I love uh, that experience. I love going to concerts with my kids. We have, um, we're, we're, you know, we've gone to the Toad concerts. My daughter, she's 14 now, but for the longest time, her favorite band has been Wilco, which is one of my favorites. Um, you know, we share a lot of the, the musical experiences and concerts, and it's it's just such a cool thing to. Um, and then she's gotten me into Lindsey Sterling because she's a violin player. And oh. so she got really into Lindsey Sterling and, and got me, she, I've taken her to shows for that and, and she shows me music videos. And so, yeah, she, she shares some stuff with me there and, uh, it's cool. I love, I love having that commonality when it comes to, to music. Jeff, I feel like you threw out the Wilco thing again to throw that in my face. I know you have not, your, your, yeah. your wife has worked against you and, and has, has them on a different path than you and. Hey, I'm not going to get in the marital spat here. No, I will say this though: uh, Queen is is a band that the entire family can agree on. Like, I think I was asking my 16 year old, uh, you know, several months ago, you know, if he had a favorite band, and he was wearing his Queen T-shirt at the time. He was like, "I guess it's Queen." Wow. So wow, yeah. So so I guess we've got that going, but. I haven't been able to um, get them on board with Wilco, and uh, they don't they don't tell me to change the 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 CD when I'm playing Toad. So I guess I guess that I'll I'll take that as the win. <laughs> You'll take it. You'll I'll take, take it. that as the win. I don't know if that's good or bad. If they don't like Wilco and they like Toad, I I'm not sure that's eh. good or bad for Toad. Because I mean, who who can't who doesn't like Wilco? Yeah. Right, uh, my ben wife and I do. Ben, ben and I definitely do. We've, yeah, <laughs> they're amazing. When we last time, uh, I got to play Nine Thirty Club in Washington D.C. Um, and for those who don't know, it's it's a legendary great club. Yes, legendary. It's been around for years. It's changed locations, um, and it's right next to Howard University, um, and uh, it's just a great club. And that's where. They shot Ashes of the American of the American Flag, uh, which is a, a live concert video. Yeah. yeah. And um I saw that in a period when Toad was not touring and I wasn't sure we would ever get back together and play again. And I wasn't really desiring to do it, but I saw that concert, that video, and I thought, I want to play the 930 Club again. If nothing else, that's my goal. And um, yeah, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. Sorry to get off yeah. on that tangent. No, no, no. I'm always, we're both down with Wilco tangents for sure. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, a favored tangent of ours uh, when it comes to yep. that and live shows. And All right. So Randy, I got a bunch of questions um, from the Toad the Wet Sprocket Appreciation Group on Facebook. That sounds like a waste of a page on Facebook. You only have so much space. <laughs> it's better than so many of the other things on Facebook. And they're a delightful group. They're, we, we posted uh, when we did the interview with Glenn, and they're just a great group of people. Yes. And they love you guys. So I got some questions from a couple of the people. Some of them are going to be pretty easy to, to answer. Some of them might lead us into other, other waters. All right, first one from Stephen Krug. He said, I had a conversation with Randy once who he would want to play with if he wasn't in Toad. And he said, without hesitation, Jimmy Eat World. I'm curious if he still feels that that same way. I love their album, Clarity. Um, 
really it, good. It just, yeah, it just hits me in the heart. And uh, it's funny, I was managing a band uh, and um, through some friends' help, I got him into South by Southwest. And um, they, uh, they met some people who worked at a record store so they went and played acoustically at an in-store, which you're not supposed to do. You know, you got to get this stuff approved by the South by Southwest people. But, uh -huh. um, and, uh, but we showed up and right after they finished, Jimmy World came in and I didn't know anything about them, but I s stood there, watched them, met their manager and I feel bad. I don't have his name. His number is still on my phone, but, um, he, uh, it was powerful to me. Um, he gave me the copy of the record. And I, I, this is a funny story. I'll try not to take too much time. But I didn't feel the band was ready to play South by Southwest. And I kept saying, when you guys are ready, you know, we're in Santa Barbara. We can be down there in an hour and 45 minutes if you want to do a showcase. But unless you're, you know, one of the main, you know, main on a headlining main stage at South by Southwest, you're really not going to be seen by the people you think you're going to be seen by. And why don't we wait till next year when we have a little momentum? But uh, it was one of my managerial mistakes to not convince them. They really wanted to go. Um, so they say, yeah, well, I'll, Randy, we'll take your, your, uh, we'll take, I had a Jimmy, you know, like a, it was like a Ford Bronco or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, do they still make the Ford Bronco? I think OJ kind of OJ ruined, ruined it for that. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to go down that path. Um, <laughs> but um, they got all excited. And if, you know, if we need a trailer, we'll just hitch it and we'll all do a road trip together. And I said, all right, I'll drive. I was going to fly because I had money. They didn't have any money, but yeah, I'll drive. And then one by one, they all called me up and said, oh, you know what? I'm going to fly. And all four of them called me. So I ended up driving their gear out. I was going to be the one to flow, the, to fly. The roadie. Yeah. So really, they just, they hoodwinked into me, uh, me into driving their gear out. But the benefit was I listened to old 97s in the middle of the night driving through New Mexico. And that was awesome. And I finally got them, finally understood it. And then I listened to Jimmy Eat World on the way back. And, uh, and I loved the record. And then shortly thereafter, they came to Santa Barbara. Um, and there might have been 15, 20 people in the audience. But I was there and, you know, um, said hi to the guys, whatever. And it just reminded me. I Like, I saw them. I saw their youthful energy. And I saw their audience. Um, and it, remind, it just seemed very toad-like to me. The next night they played the Roxy in Hollywood um, and the manager hooked me up with tickets for that. So I went and saw them again and that was more crowded. And I said, yeah, this is, this is the exact kind of audience Toad had and, um, and the same kind of emotional but powerful music. And there's something special about them. But however, to, that's a long-winded digression i apologize the band i would most like to play with is counting crows yeah because they're amazing and 
you know, we got to do a bunch of shows with them and I know they're, they're a nineties band. Um, but they're still making records and I imagine playing for Adam will be difficult. He's very particular, but he's musically, he's a genius and he's, he puts on, they just put on a great show. Um, and again, those songs are just heartbreakingly beautiful. Um, and I want to point out about their first record, um, on Mr. Jones, he says, I think he says, I wish I was beautiful. Um, or I wish I were beautiful. And it occurred to me just a few months ago. It's like, that is an incredibly sensitive thing for a rock star to put in a lyric. Um, when looks are everything to, well, not everything, but so important. A lot. Yeah, so important yeah. in this business. And here's a guy on their first single, on their first album, introducing you know, themselves to the world, and he puts on this like intimate thing that I, it just blows me away that, that that's on that there. Um, I'm so glad that they're still going and he's still revealing himself. And, uh, I, man, it'd be fun to sit behind the drums. In fact, um, early 2000, like, uh, I'll say, um, they knew we were broken up and they had some California shows and, We'd become friendly with them. They liked us. Of course, we were huge fans of theirs. And they said, would you guys consider, you know, doing some, the California shows with us? Um, And that's what really got us touring again. And uh, we were in LA at the um, Universal Amphitheater and their drummer had an anxiety attack and had to walk off stage. And I was outside saying goodbye to a friend when their manager, Gary Gersh at the time, um, came up to me and he said, Randy, we were looking for you. Um, the drummer sick and you know, we don't know what to do. So I took that as an in- invitation to go join them on stage, which it was definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, um, they were playing, uh, perfect blue buildings. Uh, and I walked, uh, you know, I could get backstage and I walked past all their crew on the side of the stage, um, and sat down at the drums and started playing. And I guessed I caused quite a commotion with the crew all looking at each other. Like, what do we do? This isn't (laughs) supposed to happen. How do we get him off of here? And, uh, I didn't realize like a band at that level, you just don't walk up and join them. I played that record still. I know the song. I played it and uh, without invitation. Um, and uh, man, I'm lucky they didn't kick us off the tour right then. I, honest to God. Um, we were hanging out in the dressing room afterwards, and Gary Gersh obviously had talked to the band, and he came to our dressing room and he pointed at me and he gave me the thumbs up. And I, I gave him the thumbs up backwards. I, I mean, uh, back to him. I didn't know what that he was saying. You're still on the tour, 
Um, oh. but, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like that close. You thought he was, you thought he was saying, Oh, good job. That was you awesome. Know, we loved it. In. Yeah. 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 No, that so, is a great story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I just can't believe I did that, but I'm so glad I did. And, uh, Jimmy at world got great drumming, but County Crows, um, I always felt like was close to toad, but, um, with all due deference to toad and I'm not a part of it anymore. Um, but better. Um, they were like, they could do things we couldn't, but they could do things we could and they could do them better. Um, and, uh, well, you, you guys were kind of in the same wheelhouse, so to speak. I mean, one of the times I saw, uh, toad in, in Orlando here where, where I'm at, I guess it was like 2013 and you ended up not being able to, to, to come out for it. And the original counting crows drummer, Steve Bowman ended up filling in for you in like, I guess he had like three days notice to like learn 15, 16, 20 songs, whatever it was. That's right. He was great. Yeah. he he's an amazing drummer and he only played on that first record. Um, and he and right. I became close. Uh, my dad actually, uh, I, when that tour started, I knew that he was, his health was failing. Um, but he, it, it, he, he ended up passing away much quicker than I thought he was going to much quicker than the doctors thought. Um, so I got the call from my wife and she said, yeah, you need to come home. And, yeah. It was like we had just finished the set. So on the East Coast, it was like midnight. And I called Steve, who lived in Nashville. And I said, "Um, I got a bail on this tour. And, you know, it's up to the guys to decide. But can I tell them you're available? And um, he said that that he would love to do it. But he had to wait a few days because he had a prior commitment. and uh, so I didn't. Get, I didn't get back in time uh, before my dad passed away, but that was fine. Oh. Um, but I did play a gig. I found out like at three thirty in the morning. Um, his his wife, my stepmom, called me in tears and uh, told me that he died. Um, and uh, but I played that show, um, which was hard. But uh, in a lot of ways, it was it was nice to sit behind the drum set and forget about it and play music that I love and be surrounded by my friends in front of, you know, an audience that cared about the music. Um, the hardest part was walking off the stage and then having to go face it. Um, so I, I don't, I don't regret, um, you know, not getting to say goodbye to him or any of that. Um, and I don't even think the guys knew I don't think the guys know um, that that was the sequence of events. Um, looking back on it, because I I'm not sure I told them. Um, but yeah, I I did the gig and uh, that was in Charlotte, um, and I always had a hard time traveling through Charlotte again. It's one of my favorite cities, but. Um, yeah, sure. it was tough. Reminder. Um, yeah. yeah, but S- Steve was a champ. I called him. He got there as soon as he could, and uh, and 
Um, I know he's a good drummer and he could certainly play my parts. Uh, I, I told the guys, you know, I talked to Steve, but it's really up to you. You guys decide who you want. I think you can do it. So you saw that show. That's cool. It was great. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Yeah. Sorry, to, I didn't mean to bring it down. I didn't bring it, no. bring it down. In fact, I even got a uh, a set list uh, for, from that show and had all the guys sign it. And uh, I had to find Steve. He was the last person to sign the set list. And he goes, he looks at me. He's like, you know, I'm not in Toad. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but you played tonight. So I'm getting your I'm getting your autograph. And I know who you are. He's like. You know, he kind of looks at me. I'm like, Counting Crows? He's like, uh, okay. So, um, yeah, it was a good show. He he stepped in well. I still have a couple other questions. I can be briefer. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Ken Helm wants to know, what, what Toad song could use more cowbell? Uh, what Toad song could not use more cowbell? Um, <laughs> I think the only song that we actually have cowbell on is come down. Although, uh, there's an outtake of a song, um, that we did for coil that has cowbell on it. Um, probably it would, it wouldn't sound great, but you know how, whatever I fear, I'm hitting the bell of the ride on the yeah. chorus. That could be a cowbell. That could be cowbell. That could be cowbell. You know what? Um, um, that would give it a don't fear the reaper kind of feel. Right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Maybe in my ear, just because it's a silly song anyway, and having a little bit of cowbell on that would be fun. I could hear a quiet shaker and a quiet cowbell on Dan would break. Um, but it I would have to, to hear that. It would have to be quiet and not just, you know, quarter notes. It would have to be something right. clever, like every, like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Um, something like that. That's a good right. question. Uh, it was not an instrument we used a lot. Uh, but that was only because I only have two hands. If I had a third, it would have been <laughs> right. all over the place. It, it limits so many drummers and, uh, you know, and some didn't even have that many. Um, <laughs> That's at, right. I'm looking at Def Leppler. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question from uh, Andrea Scarano. Hopefully I'm pronouncing these last names correctly. You're not. You're probably butchering, but that's okay. I, I probably am butchering them. My apologies to to all of you fans. Uh, she asks, I'd like to know if if Randy has worked on anything else besides Toad that we might know. Nothing you'd know. Uh, <laughs> I, I played in L.A. in a bunch of different bands um, and some talented people. Uh, and... Uh, but during, at least while I was playing with them, um, you know, we got people to the shows, but uh, nothing. Well, you know what? Um, there were some bands from Santa Barbara that I recorded with. Corey Sipper, who's a friend. I played a lot with her. Um, 
she releases a lot of records. Um, there was a band called Stegosaurus, and I think that was Capitol Records he got signed to. And um, and that he, I don't know if the album was ever released. It was kind of a failure. I didn't record on the album, but uh, he he got a lot of attention and got a decent record deal. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple from Santa Barbara. There was a while when a bunch of Santa Barbara ga- bands got signed and, um, and I played on a lot of, a lot of their, their demo stuff or whatever. Um, maybe it was stuff that ended up on the record. And I always thought it was cause, um, the A&R guys wanted a free weekend in Santa Barbara. So they started looking there for bands. Um, but like so many bands got signed from there a few years after we did. And uh, yeah, I played on a lot of, a lot of good stuff from there. Nothing that we could put together a, a Spotify playlist of here's Randy on the drums on these songs. You know, I did audition for bands. You've heard of, but okay. I did not get the gigs. <laughs> like, like I, well, like Pete Yorn and Five for Fighting. Um, okay. And uh, I think those are the most successful um, bands I played with. And uh, I was never chosen to be the drummer, but um, the musicians who were chosen to be in the band kept telling me, hey, we should be in my band. Like they wanted to, which was nice. Like, they, yeah. you know, the, whoever I was auditioning for chose someone else. Um, but the other hired guns wanted to play with me. Um, but it, it's a hard thing. I mean, there's a lot of great musicians in LA and um, I, it wasn't beneath me to audition. Uh, and I got to hear a lot of great albums before they were released. Um but, you know, it, it wasn't my thing. I'd rather play, like I was saying earlier, you know, before we started recording, I'd rather play with bands and just play locally in L.A. Um, that was fun enough for me. After yeah. Toad, you know, that was fine. Next question's from Ari Kanuma. Again, uh, I'm sorry if I... That's a made-up name. That's There's no way that's a real name. No, I that think that like is. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah. He said, I'd like to know what Randy's level of availability or activity with drumming is. So I know he doesn't tour anymore, but does that mean he doesn't play or record at all? Um, I do play. Uh, I got a nice studio down here in San Diego. What I'm looking to do is, uh, especially now... Um, during the pandemic times, um, I'm looking to uh, set up uh, some mics around my drums and have people send me songs, and I'll I'll put down a drum track. Um, and uh, and I'd like I'd like to do some recording, and that way, no one you know it could be from anywhere, and no one's risking their health. Um, so. That's one of my next projects. I'm also um, setting up my studio to do some teaching, which I love. I've always, I've always taught, um, even throughout Toad, um, off and on. 
depending on Toad's schedule, but um, I really love teaching. It's it's like, that's what I'd like to be doing more of now. And I had students here in San Diego, but, you know, since, since COVID, it's just safer not to meet in a yeah. small room. So I want to do it over Zoom and I, um, I'm getting some, uh, there's some great ways to do it where, uh, where I can get different cameras and have different views. You can see my, my right foot and then you can see a camera from above me, which is something you can't even see in a person to person lesson. And you always learn so much more by watching the drummer from above. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to, to doing that. I'm getting it set up and I'm, I'm hoping by Thanksgiving ish to, to go live with that. Um, and my thought is, uh, do like a Facebook live, um, and, you know, answer any questions if people want to talk about toad, whatever, but, um, you know, spend some time doing that and let people know that, you know, uh, they or their kids, if they're interested, um, I'd love to teach. And I actually think, I, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good at it. And I, I, it's embarrassing to say that I just enjoy it so much. It is, but I, you know, I, 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 I really like it. Um, Hey, you wouldn't be the first rock star to say that you're super good at something. So well, I'm not good at being a rock star, um, <laughs> if I ever was. But uh, but everybody in my family are teachers, and it just gives me an opportunity to learn more about drums. But you know, seeing something click with someone, and then trying to figure yeah. out the way that they will understand. Like this one person needs a specific way to understand this. How can I? explain it to them because I can see where the trouble is. And, um, in my, you know, a lot of, I took flying lessons for a while and you're supposed to have a certain number of hours of like study time where you learn everything and then you get in the plane. Well, when I walked into this place, my, my instructor, we just walked to the plane, started flying. And after the lesson, I said, well, what about you know, the stuff I'm supposed to learn. He said, I told you about it while we were flying, uh, which he did. And that's how I teach. It's like, I sit you down behind a very expensive 747 and we're going to fly and we'll crash, but you know, you're going to learn about it. And gradually I'll teach you how to learn, learn to read music if you're interested. And I can teach you, you know, all the technique, but really you probably just want to play drums and, I can help you do that. Uh, so yeah, I, I love it. And I'm actually looking forward to doing it. Um, with anyone who's interested. Very cool. All right. Abner Breban asks, I'd like to know what song Randy's most proud of as a drummer. And then he said, I specifically want to know if he can still play the solo part of fly from heaven because I think it's brilliant. Well, that's very sweet. Thank you. I wonder if he means the breakdown and the buildup, which is very dramatic. 
and yes, I can still play that. Um, actually, a lot of times it's the first thing I do when I go in my studio is play that song. Um, so yes, I can still play it. Um, I'm, I'm proud of that. Uh, but, um, I think maybe it's just because it's my favorite toad song, but I think I'm proudest of little heaven. Um, we were, okay. it, it, uh, it's not incredibly difficult drumming, but, um, I think it works. And, uh, yeah, I, I, there might be another, I think of later, but, um, that's it, an easy choice for me just cause I love the song. Um, I like the way I start it. Um, and, uh, it builds and the band allowed me to kind of, you know, define where the song builds and Glenn sings it great. Um, just a quick trivia note about that song. We had two days in a studio to record it. Um, and, uh, so we did all the instruments the first day or most of them. And then Glenn went in and did one take and he wasn't supposed to go into the upper register an octave above at the end. Um, or that wasn't what he'd done before, but he was inspired to do that. And it sounds great, but he threw out his voice. And so that was the end of the night. Um, but we kept that small piece of it from that version. And the next day he came in and did, did the rest of the, the vocals. Um, uh. And one of the reasons we couldn't play it live is because the vocal range was so, so large. It was tough to pull off. Um, yeah. yeah, that was a good one. That's a nice question too. Thank you for the question. So, so follow up on that is, so who were some of your influences? So who were some of the drummers that you were listening to that prompted you to, to say, yeah, I want to go get a kit. The earliest influence was that, uh, my, my, my mom had a, a record of fifes and drums, like, you know, from the civil or, uh, from the revolutionary war. And okay. it was my favorite record. Um, and then, we lived across the street from a, a junior high school um, that had a marching band and they would practice marching in the parking lot. And this is, I think I was in preschool um, and I would hear them and, uh, and hear the drums mostly. And my mom took me and we sat in the parking lot and watched them go around. So that was my inspiration to play drums. I was just fascinated with them. Um, the, I, I honestly think the greatest influence um, on me was the drummer for the jam. And I don't even know his name, um, but he plays 16th a lot in the hi-hat and, and does a lot of stuff that I do. Um, and I, I think just subconscious, I loved that. I love that band. Um, and I think subconsciously that's where I kind of got, um, just kind of my basic, uh, the basic thing that, so that really had an influence, but my favorite drummer is Stuart Copeland. 
Um, I can't yeah. play anything that he does. I've never tried, but, um, <laughs> but in terms of the actual influence, I, gosh, I should know this. Um, the jam definitely Rick Buckler. I just Googled Thank you. it. Rick, Rick Buckler. Well, if you listen to them, you'll hear 16th notes on the hi-hat. And if you don't know, that's when he's playing with two hands on the hi-hat instead of just the one hand. And, uh, you know, Larry Mullen does that a lot with you too, but it was really, um, it was really the jam that, uh, that I think I, I ripped that off from. Very cool. All right. Last question from the group. So Paula Schlepp Frank says, I'd love to know who is tops on his playlist. So we've, we've already talked about a number of bands that you'd love, but who, who's tops? Is it, is it U2 like you referenced? U2 is my favorite band of all time, but I also think they're the most overrated band of all time. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they're, they're really powerful. And um, so what I do is instead of mostly I, I watch their live shows on YouTube and uh, um, rather than listen to their albums, um, you know, it was their live at Red Rocks uh, concert that, that really turned me on to them. And, you know, then I got boy in October and war, but it was a live performance. And, you know, there's a spiritual component to what, Bono's talking about that resonated with me. It still does. Um, and I just, I feel like, um, there's something important as well as emotional about, um, at least important to me in my value system about what, what they're doing. And, uh, but you know, they're a live band, um, much more than a studio band. And again, I, I don't even think of them. I mean, they have some songs like one is a great song. Um, and you know, it's got a verse, it's got a verse B, it's got a chorus, it's got a bridge. Um, and it's all, you know, that kind of structure. Most of their songs don't, you know, bad is one of my favorite songs. It's really two chords. That is my favorite song. Yeah, it's that great. Live, that live version from Wide Awake in America yes. is what sold me as a U2 fan. And it and I tell everyone that is my favorite. That's my favorite song ever. Do you really? Yeah, that's that's my favorite song ever. That live version that's on Wide Awake in America is But but not the studio. Not the studio. Nope. The live version of Bad. I mean that it, and it's hard for me to listen to because I get goosebumps every time. Like, yep. and I have to listen to all eight minutes of it you know, <laughs> when, I, when I'm listening to it. So you, you know. can listen to the end of the come on down, come on down. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a cowbell in that song, by the way. I think uh, there is. Yeah. yeah. And I wouldn't have, I think that might just been the one tour they did that for me, the sort of homecoming version on that wide awake yeah. in America is, uh, is probably my favorite. Um, but, uh, there are moments, um, like if you get a chance, uh, 
watch the video of them from Mexico City. It's on the Pop Mart tour. Um, okay. And uh, watch uh, where the streets have no name. And for, for whatever reason, they mix. You know, there's a there's a keyboard player under the stage who's been been with them for a, a long time, and they really pushed um, what he's doing uh, on that particular um, that particular film, and uh, it it's beautiful. Um, it's really amazing. And also from that concert, uh, the Wilder without you is not great but the way they build out of the breakdown is, is perfect. Uh, so anyway, obviously I've watched a lot of these live shows and that's how <laughs> I enjoy them most. Um, I, I really do. And bad's up there. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, another way of, of answering who's on the playlist is we can just talk about, you trying to figure out what record you wanted to revisit for this episode. So you threw, you threw out a bunch to me. So, and a couple of them, I had to tell you no, cause we'd already done episodes on those. So Cannon Crows, August and everything after, which that was one of our first episodes ever. That's. And the reason why is it's one of my favorite records of all time. And me I think too. that was episode four if i remember so one of these days i might actually put it back out there on the internets because uh, i pulled it down when we ran out of space on our server and uh it's episode number four because that was my second pick after I see. neil young's harvest yeah so um, is this when it sorry to interrupt is this when it was just the two of you guys talking or yeah. did you have a guest it was just two of you yeah, early on. So about the first uh, 30 episodes or so is just me and my co-host Wayne. And then we we started inviting people to come on our podcast. And, um, and I'd, I'd swap in a couple of times here. And yeah. There. And the rest is kind of history. So it's kind of taken off since then. So it, it sounds like you and I have very similar tastes because that that's one of my favorite records. It, it, it very well could be my favorite record. Yeah, so let me just go through the rest of your list, and Sorry. I will tell you if I if I own those records or not. So you, then you said Actung Baby, which, sorry, we'd already done that with Matt Nathanson, which um, that's my second favorite episode. Um, if I had to, if I had to rank, which we do all the time, right, Jeff? We rank all of them, right? Yeah, um, the Laws debut. Actually, their only record. Yes. They do, by the way, do we know why they didn't release another record? Because the lead singer is just a perfectionist. Like they went uh, through, they went through like eight producers on that, on that record. Because really? from what I read on that, so he would do, they would do like four or five songs in the studio, nail them. And then the sixth song that they would do, they wouldn't get it right. And so he thought that they needed to just start from the beginning and he would scrap all those other songs that they did nail. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, whatever he did, it worked. Um, I love that record. Yeah. It's just amazing. Um, it, it's, 
I don't go anywhere without it. You never travel far without a little <laughs> loss. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, the other one. So you recommended Sundays reading, writing and arithmetic, which um, is great. Um, we probably should have done that one, but I really wanted to do another REM episode, which is why we're talking about life's rich pageant. Yeah. Ben and I had a pretty good discussion about the albums you put out there to try we and did. figure out which one we wanted to talk about with you. So, well, so this brings up the thing that I couldn't decide which record to, uh, yeah, to we do. had a tough time. You threw out, we had good, a hard, some, yeah, we had a hard time options. deciding too. So, cause you, you also threw then threw out radio had the bends, which we were just in the process of, of doing an episode that's out now with Andrew Maxwell Morris, which, um, awesome was was a lot of fun to do that's one of my favorite albums so i i guess it on that one as well do either of you prefer that to okay computer i do i prefer it's my favorite radiohead album 100 okay. percent. i do too yeah you do i do yeah. too and I, i'm almost embarrassed to say that i always feel like i have to apologize for it when i tell people that exactly it, it right my, it is my favorite absolute favorite radiohead album it's phenomenal down. It's fun. And I, you know, I, I, I remember when OK Computer came out, we were on tour um, and I had, you know, I'd bought this pretty good portable stereo and I would listen to music in the hotel room and Glenn and I both got the CD and Glenn said, I'm curious to know what you think of this. And I, I understood it immediately and I fell in love with it. Um, and for the longest time I thought, this is like a huge jump from the bends, but in the intervening years, I I go back and I just like the bends is uh, it's just perfect. It really is, and that's one of the albums that Counting Crows, The Laws. Those are all records I play I play along to for fun, just because they're great. Um, and then the the last one that this was the one that Jeff and I went back and forth on whether or not we wanted to do REM or you also picked who's next by the who that deserves to be done. Well, that's what, that's what we both said too, is exactly that it's, it was really tough to, these were the two that came down to those were the toughest choice. I I think I'm more qualified to talk about um, REM, but I mean, Pete Townsend and I'm not one of those guys that, that like, only focuses on the songwriter. Um, I hear the whole band um, and I value, obviously I was a band member. I I kind of favor bands, Um, but the fragility of the lyrics, again, like that about Adam Duritz, that line, there's a fragility to them. It just, that's the stuff that, that really gets me is when the emotion of the music matches the something intimate lyrically. And I always imagine the Mm -hmm. singer blushing, um, but having to perform. And I, I I think I sent this in an email that I always imagine Glenn, Glenn blushing, but he has to perform. It's part of his nature. Now I never saw his face because I, 
saw his ass the whole time. But, um, <laughs> you know, and he's, he's in shape and all that, but I would have liked to have seen his face. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, right. I think that that's why I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to, you know, um, singers like Michael Stipe and I'm drawn to Adam Duritz and I'm drawn to those, those type of, of singers who are willing to throw it out. You just brought up, you know, you brought up the line from Mr. Jones. I mean, my all time favorite counting crow song is Sullivan street. I was just going to say there's so much emotion in that where, you know, he's, he's basically saying, you know, I'm almost drowning in her sea. Um, but you know, it's it's almost everything I need, and I'm down on my knees. And ha- how many other singers are willing to just lay it out there that it's like I'm pleading for this relationship not to go belly up and to as eloquently and as beautifully uh, it can write the lyric that well. There are yeah. plenty of breakup songs. There are plenty of I love her. And it hurts, but um, but there's something special about. Sorry, you said it better than I could could. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's 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 breaking him, and yep, um, that's vulnerability, and and combined with the need to perform that live is what. I think makes these bands so special because, um, right. you know, Glenn is a performer and, and, you know, he's doing his Facebook live stuff all the time because Which he's a great. performer. He has to. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, I'm not sure people understand that guys like that, something inside them compels them to do it and compels them to write and um, forces them to write honestly. Um, There's a song that we never recorded, but my favorite lyric Glenn ever ever wrote is also uh, like a revealing line. And it's uh, from a song called Hour of August. And it's, even I forget myself sometimes, and though my conscience always lies, Sorry, oh, and always, and though my conscience never lies, I do all the time. Um, mm. It's kind of like the first line from All I Want, but nothing so cold as hearing when you lie. Um, but it's I think it's more beautifully put in this other song that um, I'm not even sure we ever recorded. Mm. Uh, so he does that. And, and those are just, those are the bands I'm drawn to, you know, I was a Van yep. Halen and, and, you know, we're, we're talking about this today. Uh, Eddie Van Halen died today, or I don't know if it was yep. today or yesterday. Today. Um, today. And that's heartbreaking. And I was a huge Van Halen fan and uh, he was a brilliant guitar player. And I, I will miss and I'm going to have to start listening to Van Halen because it was they were great, both both versions. Um, and you know I'm saddened by his loss, but um, that now at my age and since you know since I was about eighteen, 
I'm really drawn to this more intimate kind of thing. And I always imagine someone listening to music the way I did, you know, late at night with my headphones on by myself um, yeah. and, and not like in a club or, uh, you know, cruising down the street with a bunch of friends, but something that just touches one person. Um, so, and, you know, I'll segue because REM does that. Very much so. Yeah, very much so. All right. So we landed on Life's Rich Pageant from REM. This was their fourth studio record, was released in July of 86. It's a follow up to Fables of the Reconstruction, uh, produced by Don, Don Gemmon and recorded at John Mellencamp Studios in Belmont, Indiana. Yeah, it, it, this was the record that I got introduced to REM with. And I think that this was, this was kind of a pivotal record for them because I, I'm a huge REM fan. So I'm going to go on record on saying that fables is not one of my favorites of theirs. And I think that this was an important record for them to, to, to kind of take advantage of the college radio scene that was becoming popular in the late eighties. Is that, is that pretty accurate guys? Yeah, I think so. That that's incredibly accurate. Very well put. Um, Murmur was, is an amazing record, a great debut. Yes. Um, and probably their best record objectively. I mean, people probably feel it's their best record, but this one means more to me. Um, and as hard as, as it is, I also, think fables doesn't um it's just not as good and yeah this was and who knew who knows where they could go you know we met with don gaiman um when we were about to record fear um and uh by the way this this album came out six days before our first show ever um, oh, wow. if I got that, yeah, our first show was September 3rd, 1986. Um, okay. so uh, I decided to mention that. Um, but, uh, we met with Don Gaiman and we asked them, we asked him cause this album seemed more commercial. Um, yeah. and, uh, but not, but not at all in a bad way. Um, no. And we said, how do you get this band who's very much known for going against the commercial grain? how did you get them to do this? And he said, I tricked them. And I don't know what he meant by that, but uh, it took, apparently it took some cleverness on his part uh, to, to get this, I think, masterpiece um, from them. And it's a great record. Absolutely. Did you guys listen to the deluxe version of the record? I stayed away from it for this. I've, I've listened to it before, but I stayed away from it from this. I just wanted to kind of, I, I go down the rabbit hole too much. If I, if I don't focus in. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure where the crap I've been. I, the, the deluxe version is not in my collection. Um, and I had no idea that the original versions of bad day and all the right friends, which are on their, greatest hits package i guess called in time um 
those were actually written and demoed during this this time period. Um, and then there's that. one song, there's one song that I really like that's on the IRS compilation, the uh, best of the IRS years eighty two to eighty seven, which is theme from Two Steps Onward. That was also written during this time period. Yeah, great yeah, song. It's it's a cool deluxe. It's a it's actually a really cool deluxe. I stayed completely away from it. Yeah. when I was prepping for this, but uh, uh, I've listened to it a couple of times. It's it's good. Did you think that listening to the demo was going to change your opinion of some of the songs? No, I just know I'm very distractible. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I know that I fly down rabbit holes and then I don't get my yeah. work done. And yeah. uh, I really just wanted to focus in and, and make sure, you know, as it is, I found some rabbit holes as I was working on this anyway. But I, I need to just kind of, you know, you know me, uh, I know. shiny object and, yep, and I'm squirrel. off and running. That's what yes. my whole podcast, my whole podcast, who did it first, is basically about that. I get distracted by things, yep. and they, and they, they, you know, I, I get off on a tangent, and and then I don't get back to what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, totally. I've, uh, I have to admit, and I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't know there was a deluxe version of this album. Um, just because I've had this in in my library, um, I, I only listened to it in my library. I haven't gone, you know, looking. So, but actually, I'm glad because uh, that question about hearing demos um, and having that spoil uh, um, something—I've had that experience, um, and it's it's sad. What band did you get? Did you get ruined with the demos? We actually heard the Counting Crows demos for August and everything after um, they okay. were getting. This is you know, this is on cassette. This is forever ago. And they were getting passed around and people knew that we sounded like them. And actually, um, you know, Adam was on our mailing list uh, before they got a record deal. Um, We started doing a mailing list and we'd mail out, um, you know, Christmas Christmas cards and songs. We recorded Walk on the Ocean uh, the first time we recorded that, we sent that out to people who were on our mailing list. And then maybe a year and a half later, it came out in fear, maybe longer. Um, yeah. So uh, so we were we were kind of musical brothers before we'd met. And uh, so they gave us the demos. And um, I there are members of the band that prefer the demos. Um, and Interesting they blame T-Bone Burnett, um, but I'm not one of them. And I won't, so I can't say they ruined, uh, they ruined it for me. The demos ruined it for me. But yeah. when bands, and I know this is happening a lot now because people want to sell the same album again. I understand that. Um, they'll put out a bunch of outtakes and there's a reason they're outtakes. Um, yep. And that's often bummed me out. Uh, Radiohead's done that. Um, I, so I tend to stay away from that for just because I want to preserve, especially with the bands I love. I just want to preserve it. I don't want the distraction like you were saying. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's go track by track. Um, as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs and I cannot talk based on number of songs on the record. Uh, Jeff, you ready? Because this is usually where I throw it to Wayne. So, uh, oh, have I done my? Have I how done many my songs on this record? 
There are 12 songs, Ben. 12 songs on the record. All right. Means our top song is going to get 12 points. Next favorite, 11 on down to lowest score of one. So let's kick this off. This is, wait, wait. Um, we're going to. Sorry, sorry oh. to interrupt. I just yeah. wanted to say, I'm sorry. That's your introduction. I, I realized I just ruined it. Um, <laughs> you can't ruin it. You can't ruin something that's not perfect. Oh, well, I can ruin a lot of things. Give me a chance. Um, you guys said this was a particularly hard record to score. Um, yeah. And uh, w- when we're done, I kind of want to hear why that's the case for you. So th- that's just a teaser for those of you listening at home. I love it. All right. So let's uh, let's start with side one, or as it says on the cassette, the dinner side. This is be- <laughs> begin the begin. MVP for this song for me is Bill Barry. Absolutely. I think Bill is so underrated as a drummer. And I'm not just saying that because we have a drummer on this episode. He is phenomenal. And I have only grown to appreciate his drumming over the years. Um, And I did not recognize it at the time. Um, He's an amazing drummer. It's always perfect. Um, And he'll do what seem like forgettable fills, which is um, something I would actually try to do. Um, A fill that doesn't draw your ear to it, but, you know, will build to the next part. Um, And almost everything he does matches perfectly, but doesn't, unless you're paying attention to it, uh, it doesn't draw your ear. So I've spent yeah. many hours listening to REM records. Document also, by the way, that album, he the whole album he plays great on, but underrated, absolutely. Um, he's the second best musician in the band uh, and the first best I'll t- talk about later, but um, just one of the best drummers, Absolutely. Did you guys watch the uh, episode of Song Exploder on Netflix about losing my religion? I did not. You you texted me that I was supposed to, and I still have not. I, I need right. to do it. All right. So sorry. i i texted I texted a lot of my music nerd friends, and and one of them is uh, John from the Hustle Podcast, and we were going back and forth, and um, he was like, "Hey, I forgot to tell you, I watched the episode, and it was really good, and even though I hate the song and." <laughs> and I said, yeah, it, but wasn't it great seeing Bill again? And I said, Bill was so underrated. And John's response, I'm just going to read it verbatim because, um, or word for word, because it's, it's so on point. He, he said, if you make it look easy, people don't think that you work that hard. Yep. When you, when you look effortless, when you look effortless, everybody else is like, I could do that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true of a lot of different areas, whether it's a musician or actor, comedian, whatever. The ones who make it look absolutely just, you know, no sweat, those are the ones you really have to pay attention to because they're yeah. the ones who are really putting the work in behind the scenes. I don't know where I heard this, 
I think it's something well known. Someone was talking to a magician and he said, you have to mess up the first two times so that the trick, (laughs) you know, to make the audience understand or, you know, give them the, you know, fake them out like it's difficult. Or I think think I saw that in Bull Durham. That that yeah. that could be. Hit 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 the bull nuke. Hit the bull nuke. That's yeah. that's a great movie. That's one of the top. That's the best baseball movie of all time. No question. It's it it is for me. Yeah. But yes, th- sorry. That point about effortlessness. Um, he sounds effortless, and um, yes, the guy that who produced most of our records, um, Gavin, is Scottish. And I remember when I finished Fear and I mentioned I was unhappy with my drumming. And he said, I think your drumming's brilliant. And I didn't realize that was like an American saying, great. So I spent years thinking this meant smart. And I kept thinking, how my drum how's my drumming smart? What does he mean by that? <laughs> yeah. But I will tell you that. Bill Barry's drumming is brilliant. It's smart. Um, And uh, it's like there's something clever about it, uh, well thought out. And um, I mean, always well thought out. He's just a pure musician. And that is so uncommon with drummers. Jeff, what, what, what else you got on Begin the Begin? I think it's just a, it's just a, such a cool politically driven intensity to it. Um, it's got a it's got kind of a decent amount of like cynicism, but um, the the imagery is really cool. The lyrics, you know, tiger run around the tree, follow the leader, run and turn into butter. You know, like the uh, Sambo you know story, which I don't I don't think we're supposed to tell. No, anymore, let's but, not do that. Uh, no, it's not. But it's it the visual of that immediately draws me into it because I know that book. I had that book when I was a kid, and so it, it, it's. It's this idea of chasing your tail that he he creates so many interesting, um, uh, interesting pictures in this that is that you really if you dive into it, uh, it just has such a rich layer of, you know, them kind of really diving into the political arena in a lot of ways. Um, this this uh, I love the way that this is name checked by the National on uh, not in Kansas on the on their most recent album. Interesting. Um, mm. Yeah, binging hard on on Annette Benning. I'm listening to REM again. Begin the begin over and over. Begin the begin over and over. I love that uh, that idea of him diving back into REM, and this is the place that you dive in at again when you haven't listened to him for a while. Uh, it's a great kickoff to the album overall. I just think it's a really really cool song. It is a great first song. I don't disagree with you there, um, but I'm just gonna uh, say really quickly about the lyrics. Um, are uh, Michael Stipe's lyrics. And I, I love Michael Stipe. He came out to see us, to say hi once. Um, he was incredibly supportive. Um, we re- uh, The record company released Hold Her Down as a single. And uh, it was obviously an anti-sexual assault song. Um, yeah. We got a lot of flack for it because people first, even if they understood that we were not promoting sexual assault. They felt like, well, you know, you're men, you have no right to do it. Um, and Glenn was incredibly clever. He didn't come out and say, this is bad. He took on the persona of someone assaulting a woman. Um, 
just to express his rage. And it's based, I mean, it's not my story to tell, but it's based on a real thing. And um, Michael Stipe wrote us a letter and just said that was that's a great song, and just like to support us. Um, yeah. And uh, we kept that, um, and it meant meant the world. I mean, I remember doing radio interviews um, where people were giving me a hard time and saying this is a woman's issue, and I was like, no, it's not, and um, it's a human issue, and um, and you know whether or not you understand this men get very upset when the women they love they love are attacked um which is something that had just happened to you know i had just felt that um yeah and uh so that to me was the most powerful song on fear like that was the one that when i heard it was so visceral uh you were doing something with that song that I, I had never heard anything like it before. And I remember people that when I would play it and they would, they would like fast forward, skip to the next track. Cause they, they they're like, that's a song about sexual assault. I'm like, no, no, it's a song about you. It's, you don't, it's not endorsing it. It's the opposite. That's right. and, and it's about listening to it from this perspective. And, and I've always felt that that song is just really, really visceral and powerful in a way that you just don't hear on many songs. Uh, that's not a subject that's covered that way very often. No. Um, so. And um, I'm sorry for digressing on this. Um, I just want, uh, it, it is visceral. And, um, you know, we did a, did a tour on, I think, the 25th anniversary of Fear. Um, and I told Glenn, I, I said, you know, we don't have to do this song. We don't have to, if, if you're, because he, he basically at a certain point, he's like, it's just too hard to do it. And I, I certainly understand that. Um, and I'm just playing the drums. I'm not saying the words. Um, and for him, it was hard just to see people bobbing their heads and that's a natural reaction it's not like they don't get the song. Um, there's nothing wrong with that reaction to it, whatever. But if you're really feeling the anger and the pain that um, went into writing that song, when you're performing it, um, it can be a lot to go through. And so I, I told him, you know, just tell the audience I'm sorry, we're just not going to do the song tonight. That's fine. Um, and uh, he, he did it every night, um, and I don't know how. It, it was powerful, but, uh, yeah, it's moving. I, it, obviously, I'm uh, emotional now. Uh, what I really meant to say, though, was how instrumental Michael Stipe's encouragement was for us. Um, he could probably tell we were fans of his because – we sounded like them so much. Um, and everybody was, <laughs> we did. Um, everybody was a fan of his, but um, in fact, he saw that video on MTV. Um, I don't know if you've seen the video, but it's powerful. I wish we weren't in it. Yeah. Um, but uh, we had a friend of ours who was a photographer and she, um, 
she did a lot of our photo shoots and it was actually our manager's idea to have her direct it. And, and a lot of it, um, we showed up, we were told to come late because there's a lot of footage of a woman, um, an actress, obviously, but you know, she's hurt. She's, or she's acting, uh, in pain. And, um, I just remember walking into the studio and that area was sealed off. You know, they made sure nobody but the cameraman and the director were in there. And I heard Dana, the director, just speaking really quietly and um, intimately. I, I think it turned into a powerful video. It, I mean, back then, of course, the band had to be in the video. But Michael Stipe was in a hotel with a talent coordinator for Letterman for his late show. And the video ends, it goes to black and it says, take back the night, which if you don't know is, is kind of the mantra, the mantra of um, people fighting against sexual assault. Um, and uh, so if it was, if it wasn't clear already what, you know, where our stand was that made it clear, but right. it, it was Michael Slype that said to the talent coordinator, you should have this band on. And so that's how we got on that show. And then we told them, you know, that song that uh, you want us to play. Well, here's what it's about. Um, are you sure you want us to do it? We do have another song about to come out. They said, well, why don't you do the next single, which happened to be all I want which was just fortuitous. Um, wow. So uh, he saw the video. He got us on Letterman. He wrote us a letter, and then he came to meet us um, just to just to support us. He means the world to me. That's awesome. It is. Just so you know, this, this might be an episode about REM, but we're all about the Toad the Wet Sprocket talk. So <laughs> yeah, right. you want to throw out exactly. any of these kind of stories, we're, we're all ears. I'm sorry. So, no, no, no. To, are we you kidding it. me? We love we, it. Yeah. Please. We are, uh, more. Yeah, it's, as, as fans, getting a chance <laughs> to hear these things uh, is amazing. So uh, I'm definitely digging it. All right. Let's get scores. Yep. And then we'll. We'll, we'll move on because we, we got more more songs to talk about. Um, Jeff, your score on Begin the Begin? Uh, this is 10 for me. Wow. And then Randy? I gave it a 6. All right. And this is my 8. All right. Next song is These Days. And I'm assuming that this is a commentary on capitalism, correct? Like most of the songs on this record? <laughs> That's true. I know that this might be a really minor thing. So I know we talked a little about the lyrics and how he he says some certain things. When he does the the lyrics of, you know, we are young despite the years, we are concerned, we are hope despite the times. 
I like the fact that he didn't say we are concerned, like with the ED at the end. I do too. I'm glad you picked up on that because that was one of my notes. I love that. It's so cool. I, I love that kind of wordplay that he did throughout his career. That kind of stuff just makes me smile and just makes me just, I don't know. I, I latch onto those little things and it's just ED. That's all it is. Yeah. And I'm not and, talking and about erectile dysfunction. <laughs> I'm talking about this. <laughs> this one to me is a, a little bit of the yin to the yang of where I think begin to begin has some cynicism. This has, uh, I think a ton of hopefulness to it and it's mm-hmm. anthemic, you know, I mean, it's really got this, this big anthemic quality to it. Um, but I love those lines. We are young despite the years. We are concerned. We are hope despite the times that again, when I'm listening to this right now, it feels like it fits in 2020 very nicely to me. And again, this is the sort of thing that I would love to have and see that same feeling from our youth right now, that, that they are taking hold and taking over and that their hope, despite the times, um, happy throngs, take this joy wherever, wherever. So this, I think this probably scored higher for me right now than it might've I scored this 10 years ago. But the lyrics uh, on this one really dug in uh, for me right now. That's interesting. I think so, too. This this is the most politically charged I think I've ever been in my lifetime. Me, too. I've never been more politically involved or charged or uh, paying attention than I am right now. And, and that's probably sad because that's probably why we're at the stage we're at is because I wasn't not me only, but many of us weren't probably paying enough attention and. Yeah. And when you have it in your face all the time, you can't help but pay attention. That's what my Twitter feed has become is I, I'm angry and I want people to have hope and I want young people to take their place and, and realize that the world is, is theirs. They need to take over. They need to vote. They need to be hope despite the times. Yes. Um, and, and to, to rise up. And that's what I, this, this song feels like that sort of an anthem to me so, of saying exactly that. So you're saying, Despite the darkness, you are the light that yep. can bring the change that's necessary. So don't don't feel despair. Feel the hope. Feel the hope. Rise up. Take it all. And this was written. You know, this was written about Reaganomics. Is yes. what it was written about. It was written. You know, about right. trickle, trickle down economics and and a very different feeling at that time that to me having lived through both now it almost seems trite in comparison which is not to let that off the hook but um you know we're seeing something that is at a level right now that i i've never i couldn't imagine that we we would ever see it and and uh you know i apologize if i've turned some of your listeners off ben but uh it's just where i'm at and and i just think this song really it really stuck well for me this week um uh, you know, as I was really diving back in and, and I spent a lot of time with lyrics on this album as I was doing my research again. And, and, uh, you know, lyrics probably went forward for me for a lot of the songs in terms of my scoring. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate hearing you guys talk about the lyrics. Um, and you, you picked, um, the lines from the song that always stood out to me. We're young, despite the years we are concerned we are hope despite the times. Um, but I will say, I have to say, just confess that um, for a long time, we didn't understand the words. We couldn't understand what he was saying. And right. uh, you mean before the internet? <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. Before we can see what the lyrics are. And then right, right. so often, 
like you guys are finding these nuggets in here, but um, this is one of the rare bands where I eschew any uh, impetus to dive into the lyrics because um, not that he's not saying things that are important that resonate with me and what you guys just said certainly does. And I'm with you all the way. Um, I, I was a political science major before I dropped out of college to join a band. Um, I've always been interested in politics and, um, and for whatever reason, our high school was like that. And most of the kids in our high school were Reaganites, young Reagan followers and myself and just a handful of others were known non-Reaganites. And, um, and uh, like, for instance, one of the books I read in high school was written by Dick Stockton, who was his economic advisor. He came to Reagan during the campaign and said, you know, I think there's a way if we lower the taxes on the wealthy, it'll actually help everyone else, the economy, help help even people at the bottom of the pyramid. And But he hadn't run the numbers yet. And the next thing he knows, Reagan's announcing that, you know, supply-side economics, trickle-down economics. Um, and Dick Stockton uh, finally runs the numbers and he goes, you know what? It's not going to work. I figured no, this wrong. out. It's wrong. <laughs> right. um, it's too late. Yeah, too late. We've exactly. We've already put it. We've already put it out there. We've said it. And therefore, we will never admit that we were wrong. That's it, just how it works. And they, they keep they keep doing it, think it's going to, um, so yeah. But, um, despite that to me, um, there's something so mournful about that runs through all of REM's records. Um, there's like this, there's, there's melancholy. That's the word. Thank you. There's a melancholy with a lot of it. And I, I understand what you're saying too, Randy, in terms of, and I do this with some albums, some albums I just settle in and, and let the music kind of wash over me. And some albums I dive heavy into lyrics. And sometimes I start looking at lyrics. And if I don't kind of understand them or, or feel it, I just go back to the music again. So it, it's, to, for me, it's kind of album to album. And it depends on the time. Uh, this one, and that, that we may score a little differently because of that on this particular album. Because I, for whatever reason right now, ended up really lyric heavy when I was doing my work on this one. And so I think a lot of my scores ended up being shaped by the way that the, the lyrics hit me and I know it affected a couple of scores that I didn't expect. A couple of things happened when I scored this album that I just didn't expect to be the case. So I went, I think I went really super lyric heavy um, in, in my evaluation this time. And I might not have a few years ago or a week from now or whatever, but it definitely affected my scores this time. So what is your score on this one? This, this one, I gave an eight. This was an eight for me. Okay. And then Randy, your score. I'm embarrassed now. I, I, sc- I scored a three. Three. All right. And this is my six. Any, anything else we want to talk about on these days? I, I think it scored higher than things that I thought it wouldn't because of the lyrics. That's where I'm at. There's okay. a couple of songs that I, I, I liked. I think I liked more uh, before I really dove into lyrics. So it gotcha. affected mine this time. I have to admit, and I appreciate you guys sending me the lyrics, but I intentionally did not read them because <laughs> um, to me, R.E.M. is like opera. Um, you know, it 
could be a different language and there's something I there's something um at first, he's he's got an amazing voice he's emotive and um I mean I love lyrics I I I love you know great lyrics it's not like I don't pay attention to the lyrics you know drummers don't know lyrics whatever no I I really do, and I find meaning in them. And I'm always disappointed when the songwriter says what they're about, what the songs are about, because they're wrong 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, um, but uh, except for "Older Down," that is definitely exactly about what you guys th- say it's about. That, <laughs> there, that's the no one. other interpretation. Yeah. That's right. Um, but uh, I, I felt like knowing the lyrics, like I just imagined him singing. Italian and I know the story, but I don't need, but, but like the words take me out of it. Um, and his voice is just another instrument. And of course, as humans, we're drawn to hear a voice and, you know, we're drawn to hear language. Um, and so, yes, I know, I know some of the lyrics from this, this record. And I understand completely what you're saying. What you're saying makes total sense. And I've done it on a lot of albums. We just did Hunky Dory recently with Bowie. I did the same thing for the most part. I did the same thing most for the most part with Radioheads of Benz too. For whatever reason, the mood I'm in, a couple of the lyrics jumped out at me. And then I started looking in, looking at them. And there's some really profound messages that are that translate really well to right now that I didn't expect. The Why you said this resonates right now. I mean, I totally understand that. And anything that can, uh, from the past or the present, that we can hold on to (laughs) during this disorienting time where everything is bent and broken, find meaning where you can because it's it's a dark time. Um, So I get it. And just hearing you guys talk about it, I'm really embarrassed with my score now. Um. No, you don't. I'm going <laughs> to look, Randy, I'm, I I promise you there will be some other song that you score highly that I don't. And I'm going to be saying the same thing. And that's <laughs> okay. when you're going to ask for my address. And you're <laughs> going to want to come over and debate. I live in Santa Clarita. So, you know, you can get here from San Diego. We can yes, have lunch and we can, we can discuss it. Ben, Ben can't come because he's in Florida, but uh, oh, nope. uh, you and I can get together for lunch and we can hash out our differences on this. <laughs> I'm not driving to California. No, I'll drive to Florida if if we disagree. <laughs> well, Randy and I will road trip to Florida, Ben, and uh, right. then we'll have lunch and we'll discuss these scores. <laughs> right. So socially distant. Of he, he drove. Okay. He drove the van with all the instruments to South that's, by Southwest. He got, I did. You know, that's, true. No that's true. That's true. By no myself. Look, if I can get a road trip, if I can get a, a road road trip out of this, uh, you know, and we head to Florida, that would be the most amazing. Randy and I. Randy and I on a road trip is, uh, you know, might be a dream come true. Be a lot that, of fun for both of us. That would be fun, except for the arriving in Florida part. Um, <laughs> oh, that's true. I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Ben. I apologize. That's another low blow. Yeah, I know. That, that was me. Um, <laughs> but that, I, yeah, no, I, I, I get it. Go I ahead, it. go ahead, Florida man. All, all right, yeah. All right, next song, "Fall on Me." <laughs>
what you were saying about the lyrics having different meanings. So from what I gathered, this was supposed to originally be a song about acid rain. And then the finished product ended up not being about acid rain, but you get the really poignant of, you know, fall on me. It's over. It's over me, which is the acid rain stuff. But from what I gather, that's really not what the ending product was. Well, in, in the end, he's, he told it was, you know, interview with uh, David Frick, uh, Rolling Stone, right? That uh, yes. he, he said that the finished version is more about like just general oppression, that it's it's about things that are oppressive. And it, it was more of an anthem for, for more of those things. He said that that there were a lot of causes out there that need a song that says don't smash us. And that's what he said about it is which, which again makes it timeless. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it, you know, regardless of acid rain or other things in the environment, uh, you know, there's, there's things that this is applicable still to. And then, and just oppression in general, that idea of being a weight on somebody, uh, it's a beautiful song. The acoustic guitar is really great. It's melodically, uh, super beautiful. The back and forth between Stipe and Mills on this one. Oh, that's where I was so going to go. Good. That's where I was going to go. Yeah. Um, sorry. Really spectacular. Yeah. It's no, go ahead. It's a, uh, well, follow on me. Um, especially for me, I mentioned this is now the third time I mentioned that I'm short and I have brittle bones. So I, <laughs> I always, I, you know, I, it's just, it's actually a, something you're born with it's a disease and um my son has it too um you can get it spontaneously a spontaneous genetic mutation which is how i got it no one in my family had it before me but i think i have a 50 percent chance of passing it on and my son got the wrong side of the coin on that um but so i often feel physically vulnerable of being fall fallen on and uh that's not the specific meaning that I feel with the song, but along with this physical vulnerability, there's an emotional, just vulnerability, like sort of like I'm at risk and something, you know, something is crushing me or something can crush me. Um, and, uh, that's kind of how I hear the song. And um, at the same time, it's not defeatist um, to me, but uh, I'd never thought about it as being a weight on someone else. Um, But I do feel that, that, that there's, you know, like I'm in a cartoon and there's an anvil constantly above my head. Um, and, uh, you know, don't follow me. But back to your Mike Mills point, um, when Eddie Vedder, uh, he, indu- he did a speech that inducted them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he called Mike Mills the secret weapon of R.E.M., and he absolutely, absolutely is. And I said Bill Berry is the second best musician in the band. Mike Mills, um, obviously, he's a bass player. Um, a lot of people don't hear the bass or don't pay attention to it, but he's a phenomenal bass player, but really um, it's his singing. And if I remember my music theory, right. 
um, he doesn't necessarily sing harmonies. He sings second melodies, which I think is called contrapuntal. And I apologize if that's the wrong word. But it sounds right. It sounds like what I've heard too. So okay. I, I wouldn't have been bold. I wouldn't have been confident enough to say it myself. But when you said it, I'm like, yep, yeah, uh, that checks. Well, I only have it to sounds, show. Uh, it sounds I accurate. <laughs> yeah, I only have to do this show once. You have to do it all the time, so I can take <laughs> right. more risks. Um, right, right, right. But uh, I think it, that's what it's called. Does but it doesn't matter. I mean, that this was. But I know what you're saying. He's not singing like he's not harmonizing the way that you would would traditionally think of. It's. It's like complementary to what Stipe is doing, and well, that's that's like his bass parts, though. Sometimes yes, they're right. in time with the melody, and other times they're a whole separate piece of the puzzle. Like we're going to talk about Koyahoiga next. Um, his bass line is so prominent in the song, and it's and it's different from the melody, and then in the chorus he brings that bass all together with the rest of the, the instruments, but that's, that's what he's doing with his vocals here in yeah. this song. He's not doing the harmonies. He's doing that second melody that you're talking about. That's right. Yeah. And, and it, that's it's so good. That's something that, that he does, does more in other records. Um, and uh, th- this is, I'm not saying it's the only one on this record that he does that, um, but it's the most noticeable one. Um, yeah, it, it's just amazing that they do that that he does that, um, and I, it was something really influential with us when we first started um, to try to have that kind of those two melodies going together, but we never quite figured it out. Um, but uh, it, not that we were trying to to sound like R.E.M., but uh, to have like interwoven melodies instead of just kind of a stacked harmony where you're singing the same. Not that there's any, I mean, Toad does a great job. The guys are great singers. Todd and Dean are great you've singers. Got some, you've got some songs like that. Crazy Life, I would say, throws that formula, has that formula. It's funny because the songs that Todd sings Glenn often comes in with a with another melody. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's right. I hadn't thought about that. You should. We should do one on Toad, and you guys can explain us to me. <laughs> I am in for that. I am a hundred percent in for that episode. By the way, that would be a blast. I, well, we did a Dulcinea episode, and and Glenn actually did listen to that. Oh, he so. did. Yeah. 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 Which thankfully we we both uh, are big unapologetic fans. Uh, uh, that's a huge album for us. But Ben's other regular co-host Wayne did not love it, and I gave him a hard time. That was one where I wanted to go fight him. I wanted to go fight him. <laughs> uh, that album. Sometimes some albums are too personally are too personal and mean too much to have somebody else just dive in and go. I'm experiencing for the first time, and I'm going to criticize yep. it. And you're like, no, nope, not this one, man. So well, that was how that one went. I accept that. What? Uh, yeah. Yeah. My favorite song on that currently is Reincarnation Song. Yeah, that's a that's a great yeah. song. It's a closing song. We recorded that um live uh and kept everything live. Um just really quickly, we we recorded um that album. The idea was to complete each 
song before we move on to the next. Usually what you do is you do all the drum tracks for all the songs, and then you do all the bass for all the songs. And we wanted to um, do it song by song, which meant, you know, let's get the right guitar sound for this song. Let's change this setup. And then if you have to fix a guitar part on the song, we can do that. But if you play it perfectly, we keep it. Um, and with Reincarnation Song, we said, we're not going to fix anything. This is just going to be absolutely live. And um, and Todd was in the big room where usually the drums go. And I, I was in a smaller room. And we opened up the door. So what you hear at the beginning is actually my drums bleeding into Todd's guitar mics um and uh we didn't do it to a click track and um i I just love the song anyway but there was something magical that happened that you know you're lucky if you get it once in a career um so i just wanted to share that story really quickly uh it's a cool song like I said, we're here for the toads. We're here for the toad toad stories. So. And then the song right before that begin is is Todd doing, yes. you know, on on something that has a. It's not the same thing, but it is. It's about this like, you know, like afterlife kind of a thing, or him being able to, you know, see see a light that fills the room. I think is a, you know, I I don't know. I'm gonna mess up the lyrics, but it's it's cool. It's a cool run of both those two songs it, that have similar. I felt like sorry, you know. I felt like that was a risky thing to end the song, the album with those two songs. But they they do. Uh, you're absolutely right that they're in the same vein. Um, really quickly, that lyric is based on a true story. Um, this couple, uh, man and woman, fell in love, and the man had a son, and then the man died, and the son, who I think was like five. Um, brought his dad's girlfriend into the bedroom and turned off the light and he shined the flashlight on the wall really close. And he said, this is how we knew him. Um, mm. And then he backed up. And so the wall was full with him and, and he said, this is how daddy is now. Um, so Glenn wrote a song around with this, brilliant five-year-old kid um displayed to this heartbroken woman um and uh i don't know how a kid does that um but it's a powerful song todd you know didn't write the lyrics um he just wrote this beautiful um you know melody and Glenn just had heard the story and wrote the perfect lyrics for it. That's another one that when we did this album, that the lyrics reading through the lyrics changed my perspective on that song quite a bit too, uh, mm-hmm. for that story. Cause I, I was blown away by that story, paying more attention to it that time when we went through that album. So yeah. did you, I'm sorry, I wasn't sure if Glenn covered that. Um, no, he didn't. He didn't. We didn't talk about that song. I, I love these stories. These are absolutely wonderful stories. It, it's amazing. I yeah, it's amazing. Sorry to interrupt. It's amazing to me that that's a real story, and it, it makes the lyric make a lot more sense. And it's just a cool image that that idea of stepping back and describing the idea of a child describing death that way, of 
the light filling the room as opposed to this hyper-focused thing that, you know, this is what we knew as this thing when it was right there, but now it's bigger. It's such a very, it's just a cool, powerful uh, image. And It is. And I'm sure, you know, Glenn, you know, could have thought of other ways to describe it. So I don't mean to say that uh, he's not creative enough to cover that ground. Um, but it holds more meaning that it was a kid for me, that it was a kid that, that was explaining to his, his dad's girlfriend, like, you know, he's, he's magnificent now. I mean, look at how large and glor, you know, yeah. glorified he is. Um, we only saw this Man, little I, part of him. I could do this. We could do a whole episode where you just tell me all about the Dulcinea. <laughs> I would love that just to walk through and talk to Dulcinea with you. That's, that's uh yeah, I that apologize. I apologize. No, no, I do not apologize. That is the nope. best. That is Don't absolutely apologize. what I'm here for. Um, I love me some REM, but uh, you know, that's, that's uh, th- those stories are fantastic. Oh yeah. Were we talking about REM? Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's 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 get scores on scores this. On this, uh, yeah. this is this is my top song. This was my gateway into all things REM. I saw this on MTV, bought the cassette. This is this is what started me on my REM journey. This and, was this was the second song I really experienced from them after another song on this album. So yeah, um, yeah, this one is. Uh, this is my 11. I really thought this was going to be my top song when we started doing this. And then again, as I dove in, especially yesterday, another song just overtook it. But I, I, I anticipated this was going to be my top song. So I'm not surprised it's yours. And Randy, your score? Um, I should explain really quickly that uh, I was working at a record store when this album came out. And uh, so we would listen to this album all the time. And I wasn't sure which was side a and side b or dinner side or whatever the other side is called um supper side supper side okay um but this one stuck out to me and i remember standing by the cash register whenever um a song coming up uh would come on and i would watch you know the five or six people working just stop and listen to it but fall on me had the same effect and i had so many customers come up to me who didn't just just like you said they weren't familiar with the band and this song hit them um but i have this as a 10 uh so there are two songs i prefer um but it's it's a very powerful song for me it's solid excellent all right next song is koya hoiga Jeff, I'm just going to let you get started with this. This is what I was talking about. This is the one I did not anticipate this being uh, my favorite song on the record, but it is. Um, it, it just, the more I dove into it, the more time I spent with it. Every time I would listen through in the, I, 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 when you give me these assignments, I, I listen to the albums just sort of in the background uh, for a couple of weeks prior. And then I really dive in hard a couple of days before in terms of scoring. 
But this one always, every time I heard it, it was just that bass line, the kicking, that bass line at the beginning draws me in every single time. But then I really dove into the, um, dove into the lyrics hard, like I've mentioned already. And, and that's where this one kind of sprung to the top for me. Um, the, the story that it presents and the picture it paints, I'm a big storytelling fan when it comes to like Neil Young down by the river or, or, you know, Cortez, the killer or, you know, Wilco, um, you know, via Chicago. I like these like epic stories and that's what this one is for me. Uh, it, the imagery of the native Americans who used to call the Cuyahoga river home. It's an environmental song and it's, it's prescient in a way too. It's 34 years later and we have places like Flint, you know, with, with water issues that's where right. they don't have, they don't have water that you can drink. And how, how insane is that? They, they were singing about this with regards to the Cuyahoga river and how polluted it was. And it's a river that has been on fire or that they've even lit on fire to get rid of pollutants. Um, it's this one, this one is written more by mills, uh, with Barry. Um, and, and it's, it's, you can feel how personal it feels with it. The idea of the, you know, the burning river. I think this is the deepest, uh, the deepest song on the album lyrically, um, and there's so many symbolic things. It, it's, it's lines like our father's father's father tried erase the parts he didn't like, rewrite the book and, and rule the pages, which is if you write the history books, you get to frame history and, and saving face secured in faith, which is, is exactly that part of it. It's about saving face at, at, at points in times. And if you write those, those history books, um, you get to wipe out some of the other things that were there. And, and I just, I think, again, I, I'm feeling very political right now. And so it's just, it's more powerful to me. Um, I, the, the line right off the bat of let's put our heads together yes. and start a new country up. And that's where I'm at right now. That's exactly what I'm hoping happens. It's not somewhere else. It's this one. We'll, let's, let's reinvent what's going on with us right now. Let's hopefully start in January and let's, let's start a new country up. Let's, Let's uh, let's figure that out, and and that's where this song took me this week, and and I just I just found it to be almost kind of overwhelming. The more I listened to it, the live version of this is so good, so good. If you you know listen to that as well, so and that's my rant on it. But um, I just found this one to be really, really super powerful and beautiful this this week as I was listening to it and read the lyrics. You know what affected my score? The, you're going to completely go. What in the world? Have you ever seen the sarcastic, fake Cleveland tourism video? <laughs> yes, I know no. exactly what video you're talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. We're not Detroit. We're not Detroit. We're not Detroit. <laughs> right. And and and, and one of one of the moments in that that yep. fake tourism ad is talking about how our river lights on fire occasionally or something to that effect. And so now that I know that it's about that particular river, like whenever he starts talking about the up underneath the riverbed will burn the river down, it's making me laugh now. It does. Instead I of get what it, it's it, supposed yeah. to be, it it's supposed to be. <laughs> and so the, watching that fake video has ruined this song for me a little bit. I still love it and I hate my score for it. I will just throw that out there this is the first of many times that i'm going to say this on this on this episode that i hate my score for this but that's just kind of where my headspace is ben did you score cory hugger i have not so this is my five and jeff your score mine's 12 and then randy 
I gave it a nine. Okay. So, we're so this is the one I'm going to come to your house, Ben, and uh, fight yeah. you about. So. <laughs> yeah, you can. And when you do, I'm just going to turn on that video for the Cleveland um, <laughs> tourist thing, and you'll we'll, have we'll to just watch we'll, it. we'll just hug it out. We'll uh, just have like you'll have to watch it with me. All right, next song is Hyena. Looking at scores, Randy, you like this a little more than us. So um, get I us do. started. I, I, this is a cool song for me. Um, and I don't know exactly why, uh, but I give it an eight. The strange sounds at the beginning. And it, uh, I, I don't know. It doesn't have that typical melancholy thing that R.E.M. that draws me to, to them. But, uh, but it does, it, it does, it's still beautiful to me. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's right. The second, you know, I could change this, but, uh, oh yeah, I'll listen to it next week and I'll probably change my scores. Yeah. I mean, there are so many for me on this record that are, um, that are just very close. I mean, there to me, there's an obvious, you know, best song to me. There's an obvious worst song, which is still a really good song. And then it was really just tough to differentiate after that. This was your eight. You said, yeah, this is my eight. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, this is definitely a section of the album where I felt like, okay, I've got a three, a two and a one and I have to find places for them. And, and again, it got very tricky to is this could have been higher, but I, I ended up at a three on this one. I love the line. The only thing to fear is fearlessness. I think that is a line that slips by really easily, but it is, I think, really, really smart. Um, and, and I think it, it applies to a lot of things. I, I mean, I, I think about like um, free solo, the idea of climbing the dawn yeah. or the, uh, you know, the Yosemite. I can't think of it. It's not the Don Wall. It's the other one. Half um, to, half dome. Ha, uh, no, that one's not even half dome. That one is. Oh I no, it's half dome. Um, El Capitan, and the idea yeah, of doing right. it without ropes. That fearlessness is scary to me, and I think there's a healthy uh, having a healthy fear of some things is really really important. Even if you are bold enough to to challenge them, I think the idea that line is so cool. Um, because I think fearless people can be a little dangerous. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, I don't want to mention a, a rival podcaster, but I'm sure you guys know who Dan Carlin is. Um, yeah. He he does hardcore history, and um, I've been listening to a lot of that. We've seen him at the gang fights for podcasters. Oh, yeah, how's he do? No, no, I'm kidding. He's biting heads off, I think. Right, he um, holds his own. Yeah, but uh, he talks about Roosevelt's line: "The only thing we have to fear is fear itself," which is absurd. Um, and so, it, first of all, as if fear, as if fear is easy. Um, you know, uh, be afraid of being afraid he's trying to minimize fear 
Um, and as someone, you know, who suffers from a lot of anxiety, um, it's like, it's like he's saying, oh, don't worry about it. The only thing you have to worry about is being afraid. It's like, well, hell man, being afraid. That's right. It's this masculinity thing. It's this, it's this bravado that, you know, it's okay to be afraid. In fact, I think it's healthy to be afraid of some things. And to not be afraid of anything. That just sounds like recklessness and um, narcissism. It sounds unhealthy. And, and, uh, I don't know if Stipe was just being clever or if he really thought through this line, but it does strike me. It's a good line. Um, it, it's a good. That sounds good like you being part. in the back of a of a um, SUV, waving to your fans. Yeah. When you're supposed to be in the hospital right. recuperating. That's exactly from what COVID. it sounds like. I wasn't going to dive yes. back in, Ben. I was going sorry. to. Yeah. I was, sorry, I did. I, I was going to skip the invitation, but that's exactly what the narcissist. As soon as he said narcissist, that's how I felt was exactly yeah. that. Yeah. It's okay to have some healthy fear and some healthy respect. Fear sometimes is respect of the situation, I think. So. Yeah. I mean, and we have, it's ingrained in us, you know, we're afraid of snakes because the people that weren't afraid of snakes all got killed are dead. And so it's in the ancestral environment. If you believe in evolution, which I don't understand why anyone doesn't, but you know, there are things to be afraid of at the same time. um, You know, as someone who suffers from anxiety and that's, that's not a rational fear. You have to fight through that too. Yes. You have to fight fears. We have to challenge ourselves. I, I suffer from anxiety. I always have. Um, I fight through it to get up on stage or to be a father or there's, you know, I mean, what you're saying is, is the same thing that you have to be willing to embrace those sorts of challenges and, and fight through them. And that's healthy too, but it's okay to be afraid of some things. We don't have to yeah. buy into the idea that you don't. So. Agreed. You, you can, to be afraid of something and then to do it anyway. Um, I mean, that, that, is strength. It's, it, it's a great line. It really is. And it's not just clever to me. Again, I would hate to hear, I always hate to hear the song, the lyric, lyricist or the songwriter's meaning because I, I tend to add more meaning to it. <laughs> um, if you ask Glenn what Walk on the Ocean is about, he's like, well, we had a song I just wrote down some garbage. And it's like, yeah, but it's really valuable garbage you're calling garbage it's incredible lyric i don't know where the artistic muse comes from but i find very rarely uh do the songwriters understand um the true power of what they're saying next song is underneath the bunker did you score hyena ben what was your score did it did i not no no what was your score two and mine was a three on it yeah wow i'm way i'm sorry i'm the curve it's going to get worse, Randy. It's, I promise. No, no, no. I, I, we're, we'll, we'll find some happy ground here. No, I know. Um, maybe not this next minute. Um, underneath the bunkers <laughs> next. song is only one one minute and 28 seconds long did you guys um see the little video that michael stipe recorded at the beginning of the pandemic 
No. No. Um, so he started singing this song. Um, <laughs> basically saying, we're going to get through this together, but hang out in your bunker until this uh, stuff passes over. So That fits. It was clever. Um, and uh, as a huge REM fan, I convulsed a little bit when I saw that video. So anyways, um, go Randy. I think this is a cool song. Um, they, they always have these weird songs, um, that some sound like they just told the engineer to push record while they were goofing around. But, um, this, this is not that. Um, and again, uh, you know, the drumming is phenomenal. It sounds like a Cuban thing. And I know that Stipe's voice, he's either singing through, you know, a bullhorn or some affected thing. Um, and it's goofy and strange. I gave it a five. So I didn't put it, you know, in the top, but it's not a throwaway song to me. I think it's really cool. I like that it closes out. I think that closes out side one. I like the music, the music of it too. I like the Cuban. It ended up my number one because something had to be, but I, I don't think it's a throwaway song either. It's kind of fun. Um, but it's it, it ends up, at, compared to everything else on the album for me, it just doesn't quite rate as high as some other things. Or anything else, I guess, <laughs> technically. It, it is the one that hits the lowest for me. Yeah. Yeah, mine, mine too. Um, Are you one as uh, well? Yeah, but it's not that it's not a... No, it's I don't n- skip it. not a bad song. It's just, um, you know, I'm rating it against a lot of really Yeah, yeah, there's some great songs on this album, so... All right. Well, I'll uh, say I... Th- Sorry to interrupt. I'll, I'll say I thought this would be my lowest rated song. Um, yeah. And, and you know, except for the last couple of weeks, I've been listening to it. And uh, I just appreciate, I mean, um, I live across the street from a, a restaurant that has music nightly. Of course, they don't now, but um, they have jazz and they have a full mango night and they have um brazilian music and they have uh it's it's not a rock club um and it just sounds like something that you know i would hear coming from this place but better um you know i think they've pulled off this this kind of latin thing and i just like i love latin grooves um and uh so i you know it's not my favorite but they're uh there are songs I like less on this album. Yeah. I think they pulled it off. All right. So this is where we flip the tape over. We're going to go listen to the supper side now. So we just finished dinner side and this is flowers of Guatemala. So I was trying to do some research. I Googled a few of the songs because I didn't really know the meanings of them. So this comes from the website antiwarsongs.org. 
All right, so I'm giving them a little a little shout out here. It says on a bootleg recording I have of a 1986 REM concert, singer Michael Stipe introduces the Flowers of Guatemala with a single word, genocide, and then he get goes into the the the, the song. In one of rock's most haunting songs, Stipe deploys Amanita, a flower that grows wild on graves, as a symbol for the catastrophe that descended on Guatemala's Mayan Indian population in the late 1970s and early 1980s. See, now you're just, something... make, you're just making me feel bad about my score now. That's what yeah. you're doing. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, have, I have a worse score than yours. Um, so, so it says, there's something here I find hard to ignore. He sings, there's something that I've never seen before. The song's chorus with its incantation, incantation of the flowers cover everything is as evocative an expression of genocidal killing as any in popular music. So there you go. That's a good review and a good insight uh, into the song that I didn't know. If I'd have known that, I would have, I would have scored it a little higher. Uh, I feel bad yeah. now. I feel very bad about my score. So thanks for that, Ben. Oh, you're okay. right. Now I'm looking at scores. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm lower right. than you. You, for you sure. suck. Yeah, you no, suck. I know. Uh, well, look, I like this song, and the beginning of it actually reminds me of the beginning of Radio Song. Um, mm-hmm. That that yeah. that reminds me of the beginning, and I think that kind of threw me a little bit listening to it. Uh, it's very pretty and melodic. It's peaceful. Um, I think it, it, you know, listening to it again this week, it, it felt like it got a tad, a tad repetitive to me. But um, it is a very peaceful song. In 1988 and 89, I went through a a phase where I was listening to a lot of. 60s bands so i was listening to herman's hermits and i was listening to the birds and i was listening to the trogs this has a very trogs yeah it does you're right sound which totally made me elated when uh later on they did a cover of love is all around which um is just one of the greatest songs That's, ever but yes, i digress um all right, Randy, this was um, this was kind of high for you. So <laughs> this is one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah. Um it's just so sorrowful and moving. And I didn't know what you just uh, read. And yeah, flowers cover everything is as evocative an, an image as anything still to this day when you're talking about war genocide you know what the song is less about politics for me though than just just beauty the beauty, the, the beauty yeah. of it and, and uh yeah. it's taken on new meaning like a lot of the songs we talked about it's taken on new meaning um because the mass uh migration north um of people leaving uh, that part of the world and trying desperately to come here as refugees, which is a legal status that um, is internationally recognized. You don't have to go through the traditional immigration process um, if you're seeking asylum. And the way these poor people have been vilified um is heartbreaking to me and uh and the song as as move as moving as it is 
it's not as heartbreaking as what's actually happening. It's just the closest thing musically that can be. And you said this is one of your favorite songs of all time. Yes. So it's your favorite song on the album, I assume. Yes, I have it as twelve. It, I don't want. I don't want. I don't want to tell Randy my score, Ben. I, no, no. I don't want to no, do it. You have. I, to. I don't want to do it. I just. All right. Let me. Let me. Let, I'll give you my score. So this is my seven. Oh boy, that's not bad, dude. This is not good. I. This is my two. And I, yeah, you're gonna want to fight me now, Randy. And and our lunch and our road trip to Florida is probably <laughs> off, but uh, we'll play this song together on the road trip, and uh, we'll I'll find new passion for. It. I I like the song; it's very beautiful. Uh, Maybe this will become your old '97s. Yes, yeah, we'll That's just do right. that. Let's get in the let's get in a a Chevelle and drive to Florida, and uh, so all right, it'll have so to I, be. I apologize for my score on your favorite song. I always feel bad if my if someone's favorite song is a very low score for me. So no, it's totally fine. And again, um, you know, I was working in a record store when this came out, I thought this was the first song on the record and I watched all the staff and all the customers turn when the song came on. And it's part of the reason I have an affinity towards the album is that I like that job. It's fun when you're in college to work at a record store and, yeah. Um, not, you know, how many people can still do that, but, um, it, it just, it just was so beautiful. And, um, to me, it, it's, it epitomizes what's so even more than melancholy, just sorrowful about what REM can do. I will say that when I first heard them, I didn't, no, you were allowed to do this. I thought to be a cool band, to be a college radio band, you had to have some sort of um, tough attitude or play fast or be angry um, and all the suburban angry of American punk. I didn't know that you could, you know, yes, there are political views, and they're expressed through the songs, but I didn't know you could just be heart wrenching and beautiful and be four dudes, you know, that are adored by college kids. I just, it just seemed so unusual. I just thought it, I really didn't think it was allowed. Um, and this song more than any other song, you know, it, it broke what I thought was the rule. You have to yeah, be angry. Yeah. It doesn't feel like uh, angry young men. So that's right. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's a cool song. All right, next song is I believe. This is another um, song that has an accordion solo and a, yes, a banjo at the beginning. Who doesn't? Yep. Who doesn't love accordion solos? Yeah, ba- banjo at the beginning. I, I kind of wish they'd have continued that a little bit longer. Um, well, you're the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that they changed that. Changed up oh, the banjo. Yeah, I was curious yeah. to see where they'd go with it, but it really cool. Again, really cool lyrics. Uh, very cool lyrics in this one. Very evocative. So trust in. Trust in your calling and make sure your calling's true. Yeah. That's, that's powerful. Yeah. 
Um, I just want to get this off my chest where he says, I believe time at, I believe in time as an abstract. Um, I think that's a cool line. Yeah. It's a good but line. one of the things that bothers me these days is the use of the phrase real time. What happened to contemporaneous? Um, <laughs> you know, time really is abstract. Um, and to say real time implies something, I think, more metaphysical. I mean, I, I prefer that phrase to have that meaning. Um, or at the time. I said this at the time instead of saying I said this in real time. But, um, yeah, I like the things he says he believes in. Uh, but this was just my one opportunity to complain about the overuse of real time. Let's Let's – let time be an abstract. It's too hard to fathom anyway. Yeah. This is a good one. I, I, I wish I had a higher score left for this one, to be honest with you. Um, this is where we get into a couple that I had trouble scoring. Um, they just they slid a little further down than I want them to because they, they are kind of big songs for me on this album. And I feel like the last line is probably what Randy is singing about with his REM shirt that he got from Todd. My shirt is wearing thin and changes what I believe in. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's it is wearing thin. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, this was my nine. Nine. See, that's where I think mine should have been. I, I it bothered my score bothers me on this. It's a okay. seven. Mine's a seven. And then Randy. Uh, I have this as eleven. Okay. Yeah, I feel low on this one. This this one feels like it could have been much higher. Yeah, it's my second favorite. But I, I feel that way about the next one too. Then I, I got a couple of those songs in here that I feel like deserved a higher spot. All right, so next song is What If We Give It Away. I'm just going to I'm just going to start cuz this is my second favorite song on the record. Wow. Peter Buck is so good on this. That riff is so good. And the harmonies. I know that the that I could have chosen, me being a lyric guy, I could have chosen like five other songs that were higher, but this is one when I get to to this song, uh, it makes me happy. I don't it just it gives me all the all the feels. It, so it, it does I me too. I love the way that it stops down for the line. What if we give it away that, that like yeah. they really punch that in the way that they present it, which is super cool. Yep. You know, what's really interesting. I, you know, my fascination was Setlist FM, Ben, you know, yes. uh, I looked up some stats about them. According to Setlist, they have never played this live. That can't be true, right? Mm, oh, they, that's they, possible. They, it's they, possible. It, it's, it's astounding to me. They played everything else off of this album, I think, but, I think this is the only thing on the album that hasn't been played live. Which but is I great, think that great. there's multiple there's multiple guitar parts in this. Oh well, maybe that's it because it, it according to Setlist, oh, right. it was never played live, which is for such a crazy cool song um, that again I wish I had a higher score for. I yeah. I didn't match your eleven. I'm I'm at a six on this, but I, I wish it was higher because this is a good one. This is one I feel bad about wherever got it ranked. Yeah, I feel bad too. Um, and by the way, yeah, I always feel bad. I, I'm, I just, 
I feel guilt and shame constantly, but it's rarely so specified. <laughs> that's that's great. When you go see your therapist next yes. time, it's like you can blame so, it on us. You blame it on us. Jeff and no. Ben made me score this record that was really important to me and those dirty bastards. No, we'll talk about REM the whole, whole time and how I just misconstrued everything and uh um so I gave this a four, but I want to congratulate you for pointing out how the band drops out when he says, what if we give it away? That, that is, I mean, I've, you know, having been in a band where you decide those kind of things, I don't know who, who suggested it. Cause those aren't easy things to do. Maybe that contributes to we've never played it live. Maybe, maybe, you know, I was at a show of theirs, uh, where they played, perfect circle for the first time and i would have thought uh and and that was i think that was early 90s maybe late 80s um but i would have thought they would that would have been a standard um in their set list i would have too i was very surprised to find that that it was a i love looking that stuff up and i was very surprised to learn that that jeff would you score that as i scored that one as uh Six. I got a six okay. on that. Sorry, I'm keeping score, right. keeping score at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next song, just a touch. And this wasn't one of our favorite songs on the record. Um, it's the most punk thing on the album. Yeah. It feels, it feels a little more punk. And it's, but it's funny because it feels a little bit more punk, but it also has more like prominent piano and organ, I think, than anything else on the album. There's a lot of organ. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of aggressive and organized in a chaotic way. So. But there's also just straight keys, like, you know, rolling down the keys, whatever you call that thing where you just slide. Yeah. Yeah, it's got that. and and uh, But it also has this real frenetic kind of punk feel. So, Well, it, it sounds to me like a song that was written in the studio, and maybe they all were. But in my experience, bands that go to st- the studio to write um, will like something that's not the song. They'll say, oh, this is a cool uh, guitar sound, or I like these two bars of the song and they'll get attached to something specific. Um, because when you're in the studio, you really, it's a microscope. You are narrowing your, your audio vision. Um, and, uh, it's just sounds like to me, like something they were just jamming around in the studio. Sometimes again, that can turn out great, but not just in my case, other bands, um, that I know have done that, it, you know, usually doesn't work out well. Um, and this, this sound of this song sounds like that to me. Um, and, uh, they probably just were excited and wanted to play an exciting song and got attached to something to it that I, I don't know. I don't want to dismiss it. It's really cool. It's an REM song on one of my favorite records. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't have, the, it doesn't have the same, uh, magical quality 
that the rest of the stuff does to me. Now, if you knew who Kevin, Hugh, and Carla were, would that change anything? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Kevin I don't know who on, they Kevin, are. Kevin heard it on the radio. Hugh informed yeah. word of mouth. Carla read it in the news, caught it all just a touch. I do kind of, this is a song I wish I knew a little bit more about what he was talking about because I'm curious. Yeah. It piques my curiosity. Those are, And I like those lyrics sometimes. that they. I don't have a story for it, but I'm intrigued as to what he's talking about. And and those are always kind of fun too. Of like, if he told me, it would probably be really mundane, and and then you'd be like, ah, oh, it's way more interesting if you don't know. And if you and you you brought up it, this is most punky. So if you listen to the the end part, um, where he's screaming the line, "I'm so yeah. young, I'm so GD young," um, that is him quoting Patty Smith. Yep, that's the Patty Smith line. That's yeah. right. I can't, I can't right. see where to worship Popeye, love Al Green. I can't see. I'm so young. Yeah, it, it is. It's the Patti Smith line, which is cool. It is very punk. This is the punk song. And I like I, that it was so what? different. I think it scored a little higher for me. It jumped over some some things like Randy's favorite Flowers Guatemala for me just a little bit because it was something that was very different from the other things on the album. And I kind of dug okay. that at this point. Did we get scores? I gave it a four. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I gave it a two. I gave it a four. You were reading. You were reading my scores. You were giving. I gave it a four. You were reading my mind, Randy. You were. You were taking my scores. I gave it a two. You know, I will say that um, I know people tend not to listen to full albums anymore, except people like us. Um, This does. This does perfectly fit. You know, a song halfway through the second side. Yep, hundred percent. Yep. And there, there's a role for for that, and it kind of just gives you a breath before you get to the end. Um, so it serves that purpose. Yeah. It drives the energy back up a little bit. Yeah. If you heard this out of nowhere, it wouldn't sound like a classic REM song by any stretch, but on the album, it is a good album song. I think. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next song is Swan Swan H. Don't you want to buy some bone chains And I have zero ideas what this song is about. I don't know what it's about. This feels very ahead of its time to me for REM. This feels like something coming on, you know, either out of time or automatic for the people. Oh, I was just going to say, do you get a half a world away? Yes. It it feels like it is sliding into later albums to me. Um, I, I do really dig the acoustic guitar and the accordion in this. This is another one that I wish I understood the story a little bit more. The Johnny Reb references, things like that. I think there's an, an interesting story here that I don't know what it is, and I would like to know a little bit more. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't have any clue who Johnny no, Rep is. No clue, but I mean, it seems like it's talking about something, you know, with the South and a pistol hot cup of rhyme. The whiskey is water. The water is wine. Marching feet, Johnny Reb. What's the price of heroes? I, I don't. I, I, I. I'm curious the story he's telling, and I, I did dig it. Um, and it, I think it's very. It's kind of a beautiful song. Yeah. That part of the song, I. I really like a lot um, the the lyrics. You just it's strong. And by the way, you guys are really good at this. Um, That's because we're not good at music. That's because we're not good at music. We just are good at talking about it. No, there there's a there are two different skill sets: being able to create and being able to critique. 
Um, I honestly believe that. And, you know, I'm not sure I'm very good at critiquing music, especially compared to your scores. But what you said about, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe I'm just bad at it. But um, what you said about hearing future albums in it and then pointing to half a world away, like that, that uh, I think that's insightful. And I doubt the band even understands that but you see the germ of something half the world away is one of my favorite songs. It's great. Um, it is. Um, my wife and I used to listen to that every night before I'd go on tour. Um, and, uh, we dance and I don't dance, but, um, so, but the song has meaning beyond that to me. It's just beautiful song. This one though, uh, I have graded as my least favorite on the album. Um, except for the part about um, whiskey being wine, and uh, I mean that there's there's some redeeming parts, um, but there had to be a one. And yeah, we we uh, all do it. We all have to do it at some point. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard, and it's yeah. I, I think I probably should have. And I didn't score it that much. High, I didn't score it that much higher than you. I, I was a five. Yeah. So it's. You know, it doesn't even quite rise to middle of the pack for me. But um, I, I kind of wish I knew a little bit more about this one. I think I, I wish I got this one a little bit better. Yeah, this was my three. There is the beauty in there, but it's not fully realized yet. That's how I would describe it. And I think, um, you know, Half a World Away and some of the other stuff they did later is like this kind of song they grew into being able to pull off. Yeah, um, I, I agree. This I mean, is the germ of that. So that's, that's there's right. value in that. It's interesting to kind of see that it might be the germ of what grows into something beautiful later. That's right. If a band has a long enough career that can happen, it's, it's a shame bands don't have those kind of careers anymore. All right. You ready for the last one, Ben? Last song, Superman. Here's what's funny about this song. So it is a cover. You guys already yes. know that. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, it was originally done by the Click from 1969. This was a B-side. This was a B-side to their hit Sugar on Sunday, which was a cover itself of Tommy James. That's right. the I think their wow. biggest hit was a cover. Uh, and this was the B-side of that, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, this got some play on the mainstream rock tracks chart, yep. reached number 17, didn't chart on the main U S singles chart, but remember what I said about college radio, this was a yeah. staple of college radio. Yeah, I, I was, I was 12 when this album came out and this is the first song that I remember hearing that, w that I knew was an REM song. So I, I may have heard other things. Maybe I'd heard Fall On Me before. Maybe I'd heard something else before. But this was the first one 
that stuck out to me and it did affect my score. It drives it up maybe a little bit. I wanted to drive it down a little bit being a cover, but after listening to the clicks version of it, I think they do such a cool job of making it their own. It's definitely the better of the two. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, I, and I dove down the click rabbit hole a little bit yesterday and, and I really, I, did dug, too. <laughs> I dug some stuff there, man, that, that LA sunshine pop, uh, kind of thing that they have going on is cool. But this one, it, I love this. It keeps the original era with the tambourines. Um, it's interesting to me that the Stipe wasn't yeah. that into recording it. So it ended up being Mike Mills doing the, the vocals right. on this one. Um, uh, it's just cool it's a cool song that that really sticks out and puts me back in a place in time pretty quickly because i remember hearing it for the first time and wondering who that band was and so that was this was my my knowing intro into rem so it scores fairly high i think higher than it would if that weren't the case um, but it's a fun song it's just a fun song mm-hmm. um I, I dig this that that you know what that thing is at the beginning too the the it's that that scratchy thing is they had like a they have a Godzilla doll that they pull the string on. Uh, no and way. that's what it is. Yeah, it's all in Japanese and it translates, you know, they've got it translated out. It says this is a special news report. Godzilla's been sighted in the Tokyo Bay. Oh no way. The attack on it by the self defense force has been useless. He is heading towards the city. Ah, that's what it translates into. Which is and it wasn't in the single. They edited it out of the single, but it's it's uh it's a pull string on a on a Godzilla doll. I did not know that. I didn't know that either, and um, it just makes me love the song more. Uh, I like it better with a, that intro than without it. I always love that intro. Absolutely. It's cool, you know, on its own without knowing the meaning, but just think about everything, you know, Godzilla and all the super hero and evil movies, Japan tried to exercise their pain with from having atomic bombs dropped on their tiny island. And then um, that was, you know, the I am Superman to, to put the Godzilla thing at the beginning just kind of makes sense. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I love that you said, I didn't, I didn't know that Stipe wasn't into it, but I love that Mike Mills sings is, is really the only vocalist on it. I mean, Stipe's in here a bit. Yeah, you can hear um, him. You can hear him singing background to him, but but it's definitely Mills. Mills is a cool voice in this. It's a really cool. Uh, it's a cool sound. It's something a little different. That's not far off, but you can tell it's not Stipe. Remember how I, we've um, been talking about? I feel bad about my score. This is uh-huh. where I kind of feel bad that I gave it such a high score. Because, oh really? You know, well because it's a, it is a cover. Sometimes you own a cover like Johnny, Johnny yeah. Cash hurt. If we're doing that album, that's going to be my top score on there. Sometimes sure. you take a song and it's not just a cover. Like it, you own it in a way that is different, I think. Uh, and this is kind of in that arena for it. But I agree with you. I wanted to rate it lower being a cover, but again, being my first, this is my gateway drug into REM. So, yeah. okay. I thought about uh, also rating it lower because it being a cover, but like you said, they really made it their own. It sounds like REM, even though Mike Mills is singing it. And it just makes me appreciate him more. I mean, he could have been a lead singer in a band. Um, and uh, but, but he's so much better as a compliment. To me, this, yeah. th- this fits into the songs almost like End of the World as we know it. It's a, there's something yes. about the song, the pace, the feel, the uh, – there's a – you know – 
almost joyfulness to it that is interesting. And, and it, it, you are right. It's funny that it sounds so much like an REM song considering it wasn't theirs and it's not their lead singer. And it still feels like a completely REM song. Yep. If I could tell you one story that might ruin it for you. Um, I remember seeing, (laughs) uh, you know, you think of REM if you're our age and they were the band with all the credibility in the world. Now band bands, artists these days have their songs in commercials, movies all the time. And it's no hit on their credibility. But back then um, it was just very uncool. And especially for REM, what happened was the original version was used in a commercial. And I remember seeing Mike Mills complain about it. And like saying that's unfair, people think we sold out. And um, it was really one of the only times I was turned off by something they said. Now, I understand why he felt that way, given the context of the times. But uh, it wasn't their song, (laughs) you know? Um, And so let this band, you know, get a little get a little money. Um, and so even, even back then, I, I thought that was a little crass. Um, but they were very protective of their image as being, you know, we never, we're never going to sell out. We're just, you know, authenticity, which is what we all craved in the eighties. Um, they were the band that was authentic and, uh, almost uh, had an exaggerated normalcy to them um, because uh, I mean, they would exaggerate things that were average. It's like, you know, it's like ordering a t-shirt and extra medium, you know, they were the band that was, <laughs> you know, extraordinarily normal. Extra um, medium. Yeah, extra medium. <laughs> I don't know why that's so fun. That is the funniest thing to me. To, yeah, to to be authentic, to be themselves, they kind of exaggerated that normality or that normalcy, um, which again seems like a contradiction. Um, and they struggled with it. They struggled with success, and um, and I understand that uh, it they said the same thing about uh, the end of the world as we know it, when it became a hit, it's like, well, that's not really what we sound like. We said the same thing about all I want um, because suddenly we were embarrassed that we were getting radio play. And what did that mean for our credibility? Um, And it was just, you know, not like we didn't want success, but, it was unexpected and it challenged our sense of ourselves and, you know, REM was challenged too. I, I just remember the way they talked about that. The end of the world as we know it, you know, those one of the things that drew me to them. I believe they are who they said they were, but sometimes they had to embellish um, what is, you know, just simple and average. Right. Sorry. That was a long no, way. No, 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 it's good. It's good. It. What did you end up on this? What did you end up scoring this one? I put it at the seven and um, it was a late uh, rise um, in my scoring. Um, yeah. This rose all the way to nine for me in the end. I it's noticed that. Is it really? 
It's your yeah. it's your ten. Yeah, I I, I have a real affinity for this song, and it, 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 I want to score it lower, being a, a, a cover. But I just I, I just love it. It's a it's just such a cool song, and I love it plus one. Yeah, you do. You love yes, it. Yes, right. One to me. It's the perfect uh, last song for this record. Yes, hundred percent. It's a great way to end this album. Begin the begin is. is a great way to start the album. Superman is a great way to end it, and it 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 just ends up solid in between there's so much solid in between which i'm curious to see ben how how do we end up in terms of top scores because uh uh, i'm guessing fall on me had to be our top right that's our top yes yeah hold on now before i give you top five i always have to finish with did we cover everything did we miss anything i think we've covered it i think we've Uh, covered this album pretty doggone well what do you think randy uh i will just say that um tonight and I'm on the West Coast. I'm gonna have to listen to this a couple more times because you guys have given me you guys have given me a lot to think about, um, and I've learned a lot about it. Uh, but I will tell you, it's, I've talking with you guys about it. It's only made me appreciate it more. And uh, you, but you're still not really going to go look it. at the lyrics, right? Uh, you know what? I, I'm going to have to. <laughs> I'm going to have to. And, and you know, there's going to be some lyrics that that I'm not going to try to interpret. Um, no, but that there are some jewels in here uh, that I, I think that we should. If we, if we leave right now, we can meet halfway and get late night waffles while discussing this. That's I mean, we're probably two and a half hours apart, so just somewhere <laughs> in the middle, we get together for some you know, Roscoe's chicken and waffles or something. And, and just talk this album out. That's what we should do. Randy, Ben can't come. Sunset, He's too far away. Sunset and Gower. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. It might take you a little Let's longer see. to get there than me, but not. Well, much. I'm hungry. So I'll drive. I am so hungry. I would get there. Yeah. So we'll uh, have dinner and, and talk this album out. But you're hungry and I'm tired. So let's yeah. let's yeah. Uh, let's look at our top five. So average score of 11 for fall on me. So that's our top song. Uh, second is I believe, and that's an average score of nine. We've got that's a two way tie for third, which is Superman and Cuyahoga. Which you tanked, that's you strong. tanked that bad. I you, did, you I really did. I think, <laughs> well, I gave it a five, so sorry, but I probably tanked uh, Guatemala pretty bad for Randy, so I feel bad about well, that. J- just some advice before we get to that. Listen to it again and listen I for will. the triangle. Listen for it the triangle. It is the triangle. I noticed the triangle. That I didn't even did. call it out. I did notice the triangle, and it is very good triangle. And sometimes triangle okay. is not good. Sometimes it feels That's obnoxious right. and like cowbell. And it feels wrong. And there's really good triangle in that song. So I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't I had it in my notes. I didn't mention it. Uh, but it is very good triangle. Uh, I got it, that. And so it didn't get past I will, I'm glad you heard it. I will also say that um this, uh, at least from my perspective, uh, sorry, we're, we're skipping to Flowers of Guatemala, but it would be a very hard song to get the perfect drum part on. And I think he really did. But they got um, the perfect triangle. That, yes, he did. It's yeah. a right sounding triangle. I yeah. don't know how long they spent looking for it, but all right. Sorry to interrupt. So you said there was a two-way tie, right, Ben, for third? Uh, two-way tie for third. So that was Cuyahoga and Superman and rounding out our top five. Not Flowers of Guatemala. That would be begin the begin with an average score of eight. All right. That deserves it. 
It's a cool album. It's a cool album front to back. Guatemala got tanked by Jeff, and then you I'm guys so tanked. You guys tanked. What if we give it away for me? So. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you had that yeah. one very high. So um, yeah. at least my top good. choice. Yeah, made it close. To, it's yeah, okay. This is a good are, album. This but, is a really good album, and I'm glad you chose it, Randy. This was an absolute man. This is just for a fan of Toad and fan fan of REM to talk to the drummer from Toad. And have that experience is pretty cool. I, I really, really dug this. This was a good time. This was a lot of fun. I am so flattered, uh, genuinely, that you guys asked me to do this. And I really enjoyed it. You know, I talk with my friends' music all the time. And so it's obviously, you know, I spent 30 years hanging out with with professional musicians in many different bands. And we talk music. You guys, you do this well. Thank you. You've opened my eyes to an album that I've known since it came out. And if we did this tomorrow, and I don't think we should, because what are we going <laughs> on three hours now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I apologize for my long windedness, but I really enjoyed Love this. And I'm so grateful. Um, really honored to be a part of it. Thank you so much. I'm I'm now doing the 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 round two for certain guests that I love talking to. So um, expect an email in 2021 and let's do who's next. Yeah. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. And we've already gotten the front stuff out of Toad out of the way in the front. So, you know, but there's more. We have more questions. We have more questions. It'll only be two hours next time. We have more questions. Like we might go track by track for Dilsonia and quiz you. You know what I'll do? I'll, uh, I'll cut caffeine out of my diet. So we can get through it quicker next time. That's all good. It's all good. This was a blast. Absolute blast. Um, this is great. Thanks so much, guys. Good luck in everything. Please stay safe. I hope you and your families are are uh, happy and doing okay. This is a scary time, and it's not even November third yet. Yeah, it can't yeah. get here quick enough. That that date can't get here quick enough right now. All right, let me let me do the, let me do the the wrap up, and then. Um, we can do the out part. Right. Ready? Yep. So as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. Of course, we're on the socials. You've probably found us by now on the socials, so I'm not even going to bring all those up. Um, thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show when that's possible. There are live shows they're online go check out your favorite musicians glenn does a bunch um check those out they're all fantastic buy a t-shirt of the band buy a record and visit a record store you can do that right now just wear a mask okay be safe we are records revisited and we are out Out. i didn't say it well enough want to try it again no okay (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.